Ready? So welcome back to Diaries of the Wild Ones. Once again, a huge thank you to Wild Earth Australia for supporting me in the adventurous lifestyle. If you guys need any gear for your next adventure, running, camping, climbing, hiking, you guys name it, these guys have it. So go to wildearth.com.au and put in the 10% discount code Diaries of the Wild Ones, all one word, capital letters. Also, a huge thank you to Free Brewing Co., organic preservative-free beer. You'll find them at Dan Murphy's and BWS. Big black can, silver letters that say free. Organic preservative-free beer. It's a no-brainer. Enjoy, guys. Oh, my God. Do I have an amazing episode for you guys. You're about to meet Jeff Weatherall, two-time world wakeboard champion and send Lord Base Jumper. This guy's a freaking base jumper. Okay, so I went around to his house and met him and his beautiful wife, Kayla. Now, I took my baby kangaroo around there, Jojo, and Kayla was absolutely loving it. So you're going to hear them in the background, or you're going to hear us talking to them, but you don't really hear her on mic. So Kayla's in the background, so, so don't get lost with that. But this episode right here is exactly why I do the podcast. I left Jeff's house so excited and inspired. Like all his stories about when he was traveling around the world on the wakeboard tour and just like sending it, adventuring and exploring the globe and just hearing all these like pre-COVID day stories, you know, and I'm now, and it left me praying for our youth, you know, praying that things will go back to normal. So like the younger generation get to, can get to experience like what we got to. But anyway, I've always wanted to interview a base jumper. So listen to this one to the end because like as this world is, you know, like the, for the base jumpers, they can't really tell too much. But Jeff told us enough, <laughs> enough to have you on the edge of your seat. You know, like I've always loved the world of base jumping, not just jumping off things. You know, that part in itself is so skits, but it's the whole escapade around it, the heist that they have to do, the James Bond kind of like dressing up, you know, breaking into places and the whole scheme just to be able to do these jumps. It is just so freaking cool. So anyway, you guys are absolutely going to love this episode. Enjoy. Stepping into the yeah, little check there we go. on about seven. I'm on a beanbag. <laughs> it sounds much more official now. I oh, know. If, if I move the beanbag, <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. Oh, I just love this. We'll we'll move into it in a second, but dude, dude, dude just this last bit, just this last bit sitting in in your place, like. This week is a great week for me because I've just had this knee operation. I've just, I went through this weird transition. I was just away working on, on, um, on that last job. I can't go overseas because of COVID. Hmm. Like I'm ready to go for a trip. And last night I just started planning one. I started planned, planning this like really sick trip. And then I'm like thinking about it this week. I get to interview you and there's a couple other people this week that I get to interview that I know are ultra inspiring. And I don't get to have these conversations too much lately because people aren't traveling. Like people are traveling Australia, but they aren't doing, mm. I'm not meeting as many people just fully sending it. 
And I was just having that conversation with you, what we're just doing. And it's that inner spark, you know, that bubbles in your stomach when you're like, oh, anything's possible. Oh, that's possible. Oh, I could do that. You know, like talking to you just before, talking about like base jumping. When you, you, We're in your house right now, Jeff, and like we're looking at these photos of you base jumping off stuff. And you're like, that's in Yosemite. That No, that's in Yosemite. That is in... Kauai. Kauai. That's a bridge in America. In Idaho, yeah. In Idaho. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, I jumped that. And I'm just thinking about all the adventures around that photo, around that one, around that one. Oh, and they're massive. All, every single one of them. Dude, dude. I know, this is so good. This is so good. I'm I'm already so inspired. Okay, Jeff, Jeff, this is how I want to start. Because the question that I want to lead into with you is... I'm looking at this photo right here, right? And this photo is, it's just skits, right? You're, you're free falling off a bridge. Yeah. You know, it's base jumping. Everyone yep. knows base jumping is skits, right? But th- this is high adrenaline, right? And this is the world that you live in. Yeah. It's the world that like, so it's every day to day to you. You know, you're a skydiver instructor. Yep. You're just doing this stuff, right? So to you, it's normality. Yeah. It's like, how the hell did you get to the highest level of adrenaline every day? Like, I know you started as a wakeboarder, what, you're a two-time world champ? Yeah. <laughs> So that is true. But well, the funny thing is, is, is the wakeboarding actually came later than the base stream came when I was probably about 16 years old growing up in New Zealand. Um, I saw someone base jumping, a guy named Frank Gambali. I saw some black and white footage of him on TV jumping off the Empire State Building. And I saw it and I don't know what it is, but there was something that just connected me to that. And I was just like, one day... I will be a base jumper. One day I have to do that. Was it that curiosity? Life. I need to know what that feels like. Well, I, I was that kid growing up, jumping off the cliffs in, in New Zealand, like into the water every summer. And there's like, you know, always loved jumping off things, went bungee jumping and, you know, skiing and surfing and snowboarding, skateboarding and, you know, eventually wakeboarding. Um, so all those things kind of tied together. But from the, the time I first saw base jumping, which was 16 years old, I didn't do my first base jump till I was... 32 so you think there's a that's a pretty long connection to have wanted to do something yeah so yeah did you it was a long build where you as a kid yep did you have like um like your character was it like a no fear kind of kid yeah my my parents were like i would end up in hospital at least like once majorly kind of per year with like you know broken leg broken arm broken back broken and they were always like trying to Calm down, Jeff. You know, like yeah. like slow it up, put the handbrake on. But that was not me. It was just like wide open all the time. Yeah, right. Would you say that because you're like that, but like I'm, I'm just trying to think. It's like, you know, like when you're like that and people expect you to be like that. So, and they tell you that you are that. You know what I mean? So it kind of gives you this like identity and yeah, then it man. like allows think, you to do it more. I think, no, I just was that way regardless. You like, just were. Lots of people told me there was lots of things that I couldn't do. And especially as I was younger, like when I was younger, if you told me I couldn't do something, then it was like, fuck you, let me show you. So yeah. that with that teenage angst, that teenage angriness that I had as a child, I just like kind of channeled into the into the things that I really love to do. And if someone told me I couldn't do it, well, well then I was going to show you that I could. Did you, as a teenager, <laughs> I'm jumping so deep yeah, for a we second. Got, we got as a teenager, but did you believe in death or was it just naive that you're such a capable human that you had always pulled it off before that you just like had trust in yourself to be able to pull it off again? But like, 
you know what I mean? Like to do the stuff that you're doing, you know, a lot of people don't do it because their fear goes straight to, if I do this, I'll die or I might die. As a young kid, I was like, the first, first real like sport that I really loved was skateboarding. But I was like kind of a kind of a scaredy cat kind of kid with that, and then I grew into surfing, and then I think as my comfort level expanded, like I mean, I got my first skateboard when I was five years old. I loved skateboarding all the way through school, and then I picked up surfing when I was like probably about seven years old, and every holiday was always spent just like wanting to go to the beach surfing, and and skateboarding was in between, and then snowboarding came along in between that, and um, and subsequently stuff with the boat later. But it was like that that comfort level slowly expanded of and fear. expanded and expanded to the point where I wasn't, I was not that scared little kid anymore. I was just like happy to go balls to the wall at everything that I did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Were mm. you competitive? Yes. Is that yeah. where the- that, that come? And I think the competitiveness comes from, I've got a brother named Greg. He's, um, oh, it's always a fucking brother. Right? <laughs> Are you the younger one? <laughs> no, I'm the older one. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. He's the middle child. Really? Yeah. So I, I think our competitive, my competitiveness really came from me and me and Greg. We always did all the same stuff together. And I, I, he was like the annoying little brother that I didn't want to hang out with. Yeah. And I, I bet he just wanted to do all the things that I wanted to do. Well, obviously they were fun sports, right? So, yeah. but then that just made me want to be way better than him at everything. Wait, is he a base jumper now? <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. I, I often think about that, that dynamic, how good it is to breed kind of heroes that, that the brothers like Andy, Andy and Bruce Irons. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Just ultra competitive. So ultra good every day. They're just trying to better each other. That's right. Well, here's the thing too. I think like, and I watched from a lot of other, from a lot of sports that I've been in is watching kids coming through and then getting pushed by their parents. You've got to do better. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Cause we've, we've invested so much money and time. And then the kid eventually gets burnt out from it. Whereas for me to come into, so say, let's take wakeboarding. For example, I came into it. And I just wanted to be the best I could be because I was passionate about it. Yeah. Not because I had my parents that had invested time and money. That you know, My parents were always so supportive in a way that they were... <clears throat> it was like, if you're having fun, do it. And if it's not fun, don't do it anymore. So whether that meant professional sport or just sport for fun, it was like, you know, my dad was like, if you don't like doing it, don't do it. Like, go find something else fun to do. So there was never, it was the drive was always kind of from within. Yeah. And the competitiveness probably just spilled up from, from growing up with my brother and being competitive about everything we did. And then it got to the point where I just wanted to be the best at everything yeah, that I, I could do. I was going to say like, because you did all these sports prior before you even started wakeboarding, mm. how did, were you a natural at wakeboarding? Like how did you become like suddenly you did all these other stuff and then you start wakeboarding next thing you're world champ? Well, you probably have to take it back to, so, okay. So yeah, started skateboarding early on, came through into surfing and I just, all I wanted to do was be a professional surfer. That's all I wanted to do growing up. I just like, I, um, we, I grew up in New Zealand, just North of Auckland. Um, I had a couple of little local sponsors at the time, surf, dive and ski, town and country surfboards. Really? Um, I surfed in all like the scholastic series and, um, like local school champs and stuff. And, and we're like around probably like 15, 16, 17 mark. And like, just my dream was to just be on the QS and the CT eventually. But, um, during that time, doing a bunch of competitions and stuff, I just got super over. 
yeah. going surfing like one foot slop and just like in different places. I just like got over the whole idea of it. And I just kind of was like done with it for a minute. And, so, and it kind of got, got me to the point where I wasn't even loving surfing anymore. Yeah. Which I mean, to to this day is still like such a huge passion of mine. So that was kind of saying something at that time. But during that same time, like our our family spent a lot of time um, going down to the ski slopes in in the North Island of New Zealand, and like started out skiing. But then it was so natural at thirteen, fourteen years old to swap swap to a snowboard because yeah. well, I surfed and I skateboarded and yeah, stuff and like cool. that, right? And it was way cool, oh, way yeah, cooler was... than punching gates on skis. Oh no, skis are so like I don't know, just <laughs> they're just not cool. Like, sorry <laughs> no, to people that no. ski, but like, you know, it's like snow. I don't know. So so. When I when I left school, and I was and I was like, what am I gonna, what am I gonna do with my life? I don't really know. I don't really have like a direction. <clears throat> being a pro surfer wasn't seeming like it was gonna work out for me. Being yeah. being from New Zealand and and not having any kind of funding or backing or anything. And I my granddad used to be a ski patrol down at this mountain for like twenty five years. And I thought, you know, it'd be cool to maybe go down and work at the ski slopes. So I went down there, got myself a job in lift operations <clears throat> and started snowboarding. Then I was like, they had the, the one, one weekend they had this um, like tryouts for like snowboard school. Like, do you want to be a snowboard instructor? It's like ski school, snowboard instructor. And they're like, okay, well, there's, there's three slots that they were going to basically pick. There was like 500 people that came and applied for it over a week and they had three slots for it and they and three slots for it and then one like one was a full-time slot and the other three were like part-time slots and they were going to basically pick the three people that they picked and spend that whole season <clears throat> teaching those four people over that time and then you'd get your instructor rating at the end of the year yeah so i went through the the process and i ended up being picked as one of the three so i got I got pretty lucky, I guess, but what I, I was working for like Monday to Friday in the lift operations and then Saturday, Sunday in the ski school. And then so by the end of the, so the, I basically spent the whole season being coached by some of the best coaches in the North Island at the time. Yeah. And then they got, and then I got to the end of the, end of the course of the end of the year. And then we did the, we did the New Zealand snowboarding, like the, like level one coaching um, examination it was like a week long examination it was super hard um, and out of like 15 I think there was like 15 people from around the country had come to do it only two of us passed that so it was me and one other guy you know you, I know what you are I went to school with a couple of kids like you the ones that are just good at everything like my one of my best mates I grew up with him it was so frustrating because like you'd start something and then he would start it too and just just excel like straight past you and you're like how does he just pick everything up so good yeah your but, wife's just like and, uh-huh and, but like people people say that but i think lots of like if i get something and i'm real passionate about it i just like give it everything right yeah. like so like you might not have seen all the days in like blizzard conditions that i was out burning around by myself just trying to learn just trying to like put yeah. that time in right so people just see the end result like oh you just went and did this thing and now you're really great at it so like well nothing ever yeah. happens with a bunch of hard work well that's where <laughs> like yeah when you talk about luck it's just like I was, I was talking to a friend the other day just about like where they wanted to go in life and i was like and i said like you know, you look at the people around you, they didn't get there just by like, it just happened. They had to, you know, stop going out for a few weekends. They had to like put their head down and focus on this and like change what they 
thought was fun in life for a bit. You know what I mean? Like they just had to yeah, change. Yeah, was a sacrifice. Yeah, you had to you had Absolutely. to work hard. And I was like, for me too, it's like I love like everything's in balance, but I love when I'm that focused and I'm just going hard and just like boom, you know, yeah. like. And then I also love when I'm just partying. I'll just let go and do it for a bit, you know? That's, that's right. So, so I went through, did that. And then I thought, I, after that season, I thought, man, maybe I could be a pro snowboarder. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like that's this Wouldn't was the, put it past you. This was the thought in my head. So I took the summer off and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a job over summer and I'm going to save my money up and I'm going to come back and do another winter season. And then after that, I'm just going to go to Whistler and I'm going to just start doing back-to-back yeah season snowboarding i'm like i'll be a pro snowboarder that's gonna be awesome so i just like started really focusing on that and in between that summer that i had off my auntie and uncle they had a boat and they used to go to this uh these beautiful water ski lakes like up north called kaiwi lakes and um some of the like most cleanest most beautiful lakes you've ever seen in the world anyways they invited me up hey we're gonna we're gonna go wakeboarding and I'm like, nah, nah, I'm good. I don't, I don't need to come on that trip. Like, I don't have that much money. I'm trying to save up for this, this stuff. And they keep, they keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing. And then eventually, uh, my girlfriend and I at the time, like, okay, no worries. Went up there, and I think I spent a week up there, and just the combination probably of skateboarding and surfing and snowboarding, all, all just all just together. rolled into one. And next yeah. minute, I was like. I got there and I was uh, introduced to some wakeboard magazines and some wakeboard videos and I start seeing these guys doing tricks and flips and spins and stuff that's very much similar to what snowboarding was and skateboarding also that I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And by the end of the week, I'd left with like, I think like one or two flips and a couple of spins. And And they're like the kid that was like the best kid in the club there who'd been doing it for years was like touted to be like the next big thing. They were all like, Who's this guy? Yeah. Like, where did he come from? And he just learned all these Sweet. all these tricks. And I was, I went away from there and I was like, oh, well, that's pretty fun. So then I kept going every weekend back up skiing over the, over you know, like wakeboarding over the whole summer. And I, I was like, by the end of the summer, I was kind of like, well, shit, I don't really know what, I, what, what am I going to do here? Like, I was like, first of all, like there's been a, at, the, at the time, this was 99, 2000-ish. Yeah. I was like, there's been a couple of pro snowboarders from New Zealand that had like, you know, were making it, but nobody had ever made it as a pro wakeboarder. And as I was getting into the scene, I was like, how cool would it be to be like the first guy, like the first guy to really go overseas and to make a big name and stuff. And I thought, but I'm really already invested with snowboarding stuff. So I went back to the snow did the season there, but during that winter season, they had like a, a winter wakeboard series. So I kept going driving back up to Auckland to do these contests here and there. And I picked up, um, we, did you start smashing that kid? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he was long gone. Wait, did, <laughs> wait, wait, I've got a question for you. Did he like you? Or did you just become mates? Or was he just uh, like, or was it uh, full competitive? Or he's just like, fuck this guy. And you go on the scene. I was a little bit older than him too. Yeah. So it was like, it was poor dude. He's probably still traumatized yeah, from that. Yeah. Yeah. I know Ben pretty well. He's, <laughs> he's, poor, he's, Benny. he's poor Benny. But, I, I kept coming up and um, I ended up picking up like a local sponsor in Auckland called Ballistics Wake and Snow. It's this like snowboard yeah. wakeboard shop. Um, those guys were already kind of hooking me up snowboards and bits and pieces during the winter time. 
and then well, it kind of naturally progressed. They were kind of at, at the time the driving force for wakeboarding in New Zealand and it was really a big growing sport at the time. So I came on with those guys and so now I'm like, well, I've got this local sponsor, I'm getting bored, so they've got a wakeboard camp, I can go ride behind their boat and coach and do all these things. I'm like, I kind of was like, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I said to myself, I'm going to go to the New Zealand Nationals. And if I go to this New Zealand Nationals and I make top three, I'm going to go to America and I'm going to see if I have what it takes to be, you know, stand up against the best. And if I don't do top three at the Nationals, I'm going to give the wakeboard back to them and I'm just going to solely focus on the snowboarding. At, at the time, like, <laughs> okay, were you like, were you like learning and like watching like wakeboard like, vids? To- like, yeah, like, like obsessively. Like, like I had a, I had a, so during that summertime, what I went and did is I got a, a job at a petrol station so I could work from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. So I could work the night so I could ride during the day and get a little bit of sleep on each end. Yeah. If I wasn't riding during, if I, if I wasn't able to get access to the boat or have someone, because you'd have to have someone else to come and drive it. So like Monday to Friday, everyone else has got a regular job and like, you know, trying to get my friends, hey, who wants to, yeah. can someone come and drive me or, you know, and it was funny at the time, um, my girlfriend Anna at the time, her parents were, were, had a very pretty flexible schedule and stuff too. Um, we used to, we had a boat. And so Anna's, Anna's parents used to actually come out sometimes when I had no one else and they'd come drive me so I could train. Because we lived like near, near the spot called Greenheith where we could put the put the boat in five minutes from the house and, and go up and train. So really? we used to go out on the boat just with, with, the, with her parents and uh, yeah. they'd drive me and we'd all wakeboard together and hang out. It was pretty awesome. Dude, ultra <laughs> determined. And just then like saying like that, say so how old are you at this stage? Uh, like 18. Yeah, so like 18, you're doing mm-hmm. a, like a 10 to 6 a.m. job that's already there sacrificing yes. to like go solid for what you want yeah and then and then in the times that i couldn't ride i had a trampoline out the back of the house with a with a rope and a handle tied to a tree and i would just like watch videos and then go on the trampoline and just learn every trick that these pros had like switch and regular and just bounce i'd spend like five six seven hours on the trampoline at a time on the <laughs> days that i couldn't get just like obsessive yeah right. like really obsessive so anyways i go to the um new zealand nationals in 2001 and I win <laughs> and I get a thousand dollar check I got the paper check still sitting in the room over there so I get this thousand dollar check like big novelty check and I cashed it in and I like one-way ticket to Orlando Florida which is the mecca of wakeboarding so I rang all the wakeboard schools up in Florida at the time <clears throat> and I said hey I've only got a b1 b tourist to tourist visa so I can't come and legally work there <clears throat> But can I come and like live at your spot, do some coaching, and then you just maybe pay for my like food and board and riding, which is what a lot of yeah. camps used to do. So I, this was in the days of the wakeboard magazine. So I got, like, up in the back of the magazine, they got all the advertised for all the different wakeboard camps around. I ring everyone. Hey, my name's Jeff. I just won the New Zealand Nationals. So I'm the New Zealand wakeboard national champion. Like, <laughs> like I want to come over. Yeah, New Zealand? <laughs> Green, Greenland, <laughs> yeah. Iceland. What? Where is that? Is that? <laughs> That's part of Australia, right? Yeah, there's a bridge, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. So, anyways, this um, this one chick, Jennifer Leachman, she used to be a, a slalom pro slalom water skier. She owned a place called O Town Water Sports. She was like, I need a coach can you be here next week? And I was like, I will get on a plane tomorrow. She's like, yep, no worries. So I like, she was like, I can only give you 
I can give you board and I can pay for your riding when, when you're not working, you can ride for free. And I was like, I, I've only got a thousand dollars. I was like, that's going to run out pretty quick. I was like, you're going to need to pay me something so that I can at least, you know, yeah. buy food. She's like, all right, 50 bucks a week. So 50 bucks a week it was, you know, I buy like the like 10 for $10 pizzas in the microwave. <laughs> Peanut but, butter you know, and bread. Just, <laughs> yeah. Just, but it got me there. It got me, it got me in Orlando, Florida. And within, within the first month I'd met like, all my heroes that were the top of the sport wakeboarding and I was starting to get to ride with these guys and I was riding five, six, seven, eight times a day. Like, were, what were your parents like knowing you're going with no money? Or like, were you, were you excited, scared or just, just excited that, for the adventure? I, I was, uh, I mean, I don't, I never really asked them that. I mean, at the time, a thousand bucks seemed like a lot of money. So yeah. it was probably like now we probably think a thousand bucks is not going to go very no. far. But at the time, that probably lasted me like three months. Yeah. Oh, mate. <laughs> it's like when I think about like how long I traveled backpacking when I was younger with like. With nothing. Nothing. <laughs> like, like how I could make a thousand bucks last a year in Indo. <laughs> yeah. That's you know what? Right. I'd be living like a king over there. <laughs> I think she, she subs up still. I still have that like. Uh, I can run off nothing. I can yeah. like either be running lavishly or sometimes I can be, she's like, we've got no money. I'm like, what? She's like, she's like, yeah, we've only got like, you know, 2000 bucks in the bank or something. And I'll be like, Oh, I'd like, I ran out of money like three days ago. I'm still <laughs> waiting for the next check, but there's fuel in the car. And like, what? Yeah, we'll two minute noodles for days. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, everything's paid off. We'll get the next check. Oh, fine. I was doing this trip in Mexico. Oh, about a year and a half ago. And me and my mate, um, we had money, but we left Sayulita and didn't know that there was no ATM for like the next six hours. And we had, we wanted to serve like Nexbo, Latika, all the places, and we had no money. And I remember we spent our last money fill, filling up the fuel, and we had thirty bucks to last us ten days. And mate's like, "Oh, should we just drive, try find an ATM?" I was like, "Nah, mate." <laughs> it's like. <laughs> I've done this before. I'll do it again. It's the game now. And like we just slept on the beach. So much fun. We just slept on the beach. Went and like picked coconuts. We went to the, we went and like picked mangoes on all the mango farms. Like the farmer said to us, whatever hits the ground, like is on the ground, you can just take. And then we're returning the Corona bottles, like that would find around and returning them to get beer money. And it was like, man, the tender. It was working. It was fine. Like it was sick. We had so much fun, but I was so happy I got to go back to that. Yeah. Because that's what I was like when I was 20 backpacking. (laughs) Man, what an adventure. Yes. COVID's got it. This thing's got to open back up because like right now I'm so worried about our youth, like 18, 19, 20 year olds, 21 year olds, like getting to do the things that we did. Mm. You know what I mean? Because that's what opened my mind. it's ever going to be quite the same though. Like I I remember being in Florida at that spot when um, September 11th happened <gasps> and, wow. and the, the craziness that ensued from that and how much travel changed after that, like the, you know, the security, security measures airport, that changed yeah. and, and, you know, like all, all sorts of things, and, you know, it changed like, and it I, changed forever. I did. I mean, I flew, I flew to America on a one-way ticket. And now you can't do that. You have to have a returning flight out of there. You can't just fly up there and, yeah. and be like, oh, I'm just... Well, you got to have an Esther. And yeah. if you don't, they send you home and that... Yep. Arrest yeah. you and then send you home. Yeah, that's right. You put you on the plane on in cuffs. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we're actually talking about the good old days now. Yeah, we are. Oh, my God. I'm, so, I'm Any youth listening to this, we're sorry we got to send it. <laughs> <laughs> you guys... 
<laughs> like I've, I actually feel bad. Like I'm, I'm legitimately worried because me and all my mates that are living really good lives right now, it's all from traveling and open their mind, opening their mind and not just Australia travel, traveling to different cultures, because that's when you learn, like you, you have a wife from Hawaii. That's right. You know what I mean? But it just like she, you, you grew up. So you grew up in a different, a different culture, different lifestyle, everything, but you're so open to that, you know, and you guys can, you know, that would have taught you things, you know, it would have taught each other things. Yeah. It's just mm. like, so, um, I say all the time when, when people, especially younger people ask me, oh, I don't know what to do or I don't like, I don't, you know, I don't have a career or a degree or something that, that drives me wild. I'm like, well, go travel. Yeah. Like go you will find something along the way that sets you sets you on fire because yeah. you'll you'll get put out of your comfort zone. You'll have to you'll have to grow up in ways, but they're like ways that you could never be taught yeah. at school. Well, you're forced to do things that you wouldn't normally do, so you end up in turn seeing different sides of yourself. Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? Like you're put in different situations that you've never been in, and some of those situations you're going to like, you're going to hate, you're going to excel mm. in, and yep. you're going to. And that's the thing about like learning about yourself, coming yeah. into yourself. Yeah, the first the first few years I was on the wakeboard tour because uh, there was me and probably like four or five other Aussie boys, and we were all like we all didn't have very many sponsors, so we were we we're always winging it together. So we'd we'd get like one hotel room, and there'd be like ten of us in the room. There'd just be board bags, and we'd or we'd get some little car, and there'd be like five of us stuffed in it with, with like wakeboard bags stuffed on the top. We're all trying to make it as like you know as cheap as possible and i i for years was the organizer of the group i was like the guy that was like okay i organized the hotel i organized like where we get like picked up and dropped off and our and our flights and all that kind of stuff and then one year i was just like after probably like this is probably about five or six years i was like you know what i'm not gonna do that this year anymore i'm like we're all big boys now we're all we're all making good money at this time i'm like but i'm like i'm also We've been very insular because we're all like a little team going everywhere. Yeah. So it's like, it's very safe. I was like, I'm just going to book my ticket. Like, so, okay, say there's a, there's a contest in, in Knoxville and you're like, and I would like normally organize all the things. Now I'm just like, I'm just going to book a ticket there and pay my entry fee. And I'll just show up in the airport with no hotel and no way to get there. And I'll just kind of wing it. Wing it. I love and, that. Yeah. And I stopped. <laughs> I used to always put my wakeboards in a wakeboard bag and I would find like, they get smashed up by the airlines, much like surfboards, right? I was yeah. like, how do you smash it? Like you have to try pretty hard to smash a wakeboard up. So I started just traveling with one wakeboard with the boots and I just put the sticker on the board. And just like, and just like check it on. And I was, my board never got damaged because it was like, they could see what it was and they would just, they would be real careful for some really? reason. I would just start traveling with just a single board with my boots strapped to it and just put the like airline ticket sticker just straight on it, straight on the center. <laughs> there we go. That's it. And I'd carry my, carry my life jacket, my rope and my, my, um, helmet, my backpack and just have a, have a wheelie carry on and that'll be it. I'd roll up to the airport and I'd be like, how system. am I going to get to the to the site now? And then I just see people, other people that were going to the contest, but maybe that I would never hang out with. Yeah, and they'd be like, "Oh, do you need a ride?" And then next minute, someone would be like, "Oh, well, we've got a spare room in our hotel." I'm like, ah, this is kind of awesome because it's getting me out of my comfort zone. Yeah, and that's, the thing is, if you if you like, I, I hate traveling with beauty queens because <laughs> adventure lies in the unknown right yeah, absolutely and, and, and that is the adventure and like for me i'm comfortable with whatever ever happens for me i let i have this saying like let the experience take you traveling because it's like yeah. 
the plan is always going to fall through. But if you have someone that needs this, this, and this, it's like it's it gives me anxiety because you've got they've got expectation. Yeah. But it's like for me, it's like it's always going to work out. It's always going to look after one way or another. Yeah. If if, like if you end up sleeping in the airport that night, who cares? Like you're just like it always works. Kayla always says she's like she's like you love awkward. I know. I do. She's just she's sitting there with Jojo, my baby kangaroo, just loving it. I bought around a kangaroo to your house. <laughs> All her around. Aussie dreams are coming true right now. <laughs> so before you said, you know, like when you're first um, on the wakeboard tour, the Australian team and, and you, the New Zealand or whatever, like didn't have much money. Yeah. I kind of pictured like something like Cool Runnings there where the Americans had heaps of money and just be like, what up, losers? You know what I mean? Like, you're all sleeping together. Is that what we'd, was happening? We would be like, we would literally, there would be like, uh, we'd be in a hotel in Vegas or something and there would just be wake, by the, after like day two, there's wakeboards everywhere and wet board shorts and ropes and handles hanging and just like, and then you'd go out and party all night as well. So you'd come back and it was like, first in got like a slot in the bed, but there might be like three, like there's two like king, <laughs> king beds. So like the first like three dudes get the, the three beds and then the rest just sleep They're on the, the floor, floor. Yeah. with like a hotel towel <laughs> as a pillow, you know, it's like you'd wake up in the morning and like someone's forgotten to turn the air con on. It's just like stinky wet shorts and 10 dudes. In there. Like, <laughs> I mean, we, we did that in Indo once and we lost Jai. Yeah. We woke up in the morning we're like, Where's Jai? Like, just there was like five of us in this one room. We just pushed the two beds together and we're like, oh, you know, being cheap, you know. Yeah. And we lost Jai. We're like, where is he? he must have, like, no, he came home with us. Where the fuck's Jai? And we go out to Brecky, come back. We still can't find him. And we get worried left. by this point. Yeah, we start getting worried about him. And then we look under the bed and he was asleep under the bed. <laughs> he crawled up under. I don't know what. Oh, no, he crawled up under. This is, okay, side story. <laughs> My mate Mitch. And I used to be guilty of this, sex sleepers, like in their sleep, grab someone and try like, think they're going for it. Like try, go for it. Mitch is a really strong dude and Mitch and Jai has long blonde hair and is a good looking dude. Anyway, supposedly Mitch started grabbing Jai in the middle of the night, trying to like, try to thinking pull, it was try a girl. Trying to pull him in. Yeah, trying to like pull him in. And Jai got that scared because he couldn't fight him off that he hid under the bed and slept under there because <laughs> he had this fear that Mitch was going to try get him. <laughs> that's funny. That's <laughs> yeah, but that's the stuff that happens when it's just like, you know, like when you're traveling like that, just yeah. with your mates, it, yeah. it was just funny. You know what I mean? Like That's Mitch. so awesome. I have like almost a similar story. I was in Mammoth with my with my mate Keith Lidberg and uh, someone else snowboarding. Um, Matt Gleason snowboarding. Uh, we were out there with the O'Neill team at the time. And um, so Keith and I are sharing a bed. We're, we're sharing a bed and whatever. And I, I wake up in the morning. It's probably like seven o'clock in the morning. And he's like little spoon and i've like just got got big spoon and it was like we've obviously both thought that we're just with our chicks and just like all snuggled up and you know like kind of come to and i'm like consciously like uh-oh <laughs> oh, like kind of oh what's going on here like walk back away slowly like back away he never even noticed i never even said anything to him oh, so really? he's, when he listens to this podcast he's gonna find out or maybe I, he did notice and he's maybe. never said anything this whole time he's just like I, I, I basically i rolled over and put a pillow barrier between us it's like that should that should yeah, hold that us over happen. for another yeah. few hours <laughs> oh man 
So anyways, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay, Wake, okay. okay. Wakeboarding and base jumping. It, yeah, I'm just loving it because it's just taken me back to all these trips with, with my mates. So yeah, you're just boys on tour, like literally yeah. just having a good time, chasing your dreams, like working hard, playing hard. Yeah, yeah. We, You know, the first first few years we had to, had to do a lot of like extra, like coaching on the side and bits and pieces. And then finally after I, after I basically won my first world title, um, sponsors really started rolling in at that point and we were really lucky like when we look any of the crew that we talk to now if we we look back on the years that we were wakeboarding 2000 to 2010 were like the golden years of wakeboarding in terms of yeah. like there was money flowing from sponsors there was x games going on there's gravity games there was like mountain dew pro tour and it was all rolled in with like freestyle motocross like the middle militia guys it was rolled in with like all the bands we had we'd see pennywise and all yeah. these big bands all the time and they were all rolled in together so we every time we're going somewhere it was a big festival of of crew and was, was it the financial crisis that crashed that too yeah like so the in, bfc in, in like 2008 the... that was the fit was the start of that that really kind of like started like a bit of an incline on that and <clears throat> the companies were paying a lot of money in their marketing budgets at that time and then when that all the crisis happened they they shrunk their teams down quite a lot Lot, lots of people lost jobs lost sponsors i lost some sponsors along that way um and then and then a lot of the sponsors realized oh hey these guys are still riding for us for half the price so they're like when when it was starting to recover yeah why would we why do we need to pay these guys more money now so and and for me it was already on the like i was on the back end of my career by the time that happened so when i had sponsors asking me to do double the amount of work for half the money i kind of got to the point where i was like you know i'd won everything i wanted to at that point i'd done, achieved all the things that i wanted to and i'm like already you know four or five knee surgeries deep and and, <laughs> oh, yeah. and i'm like you know is that I, I started you know looking in different directions and i knew that the end of my career was like coming up into 30 i knew the end of my career was coming but i rode the rode the coattails of the start of my career out pretty well and i like milk i I milked every every last cent out do you, of it. Do you still wakeboard? Uh, I'm I'm in a yeah here and there not very much. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, what? what probably like once every couple of years I think. <laughs> All the tricks are still there. I mean I did it like did it for freaking nearly fifteen years like every single day. So, yeah, you can do that so, dude that just suddenly just pulls it out like oh give us a go. Well, it was funny because uh, a few months ago we had um, Dean Smith and Amber Wing like they're you know a couple of uh, pro wakeboarders from here in Australia that I traveled with for years. And we all went up to the, to the wakeboard cable park, which Daniel Watkins runs. And he was, he's also another big time wakeboarder from here in Australia. He runs a cable park up behind Dreamworld. Yeah. And, that everyone's and frothing on. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's so much fun. So we all showed up there and then we all start wakeboarding. We were the whole crew of us, all, all the old crew got together and went, went for a few laps. And all these kids are like, who are all these old people? <laughs> and then they're like ripping. Yeah. <laughs> like all of a sudden there's like 10 of us there and they're like, all these old dudes, like all these old dudes and chicks. They're like, these, this crew, where the hell they come yeah. from? Who are they? Who what are the they? <laughs> and we're, we're all just laughing. We're like, yeah, because nobody knows us anymore. We just, things have changed. Like at the same time as that GFC happened, things started winding down and things started going from print to digital as well and then instagram and facebook and and there was a big change yeah almost like a generational change as well it was like as our careers were coming out so were the so were the the wakeboard magazines were starting to die and the idea of like 
shooting a DVD was starting to die and everything was starting to be like iPhone orientated with Instagram. And yeah. <clears throat> so there was lots of different changes. You know, yeah. And it was like either change it, adapt. And it's like, well, do I even want to do that? Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's and that's kind of how I felt at that time. You know, I, I've always been a, a person that wants to be doing something that is that I'm getting better at. Yeah. Not that I'm like just maintaining or now on the decline. Like I, I knew by that stage, like, you know, the, the peak of my career was between 2006 and 2009. And so by the time we were getting 10, 11, 12, 13, I was, I was really stretching things, right? Yeah. And I was doing, I was doing some free riding. Yeah, and, listen here, Kelly Slater. You know, like, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was like, I was like doing the, doing the fun stuff, going on trips and bits and pieces, but there was a, a steady decline and I was starting to look elsewhere for things. And yeah. what, what was it like? So I'm guessing in those, those like two, 06 to 09 years, that's when you won the two world titles. I won my first world title actually in 03 and my second one in 05. Oh, okay. So yeah. So I was still building at that yeah. point, but you know, what, what did that feel like that? In 2003, when you won a world title, did you know you were capable of winning a world title? As soon as I went to America that very first season, I knew that I could be the world's best. As soon as I, as soon as I went and met everyone, <clears throat> got to ride with people, and I was like, the only difference between these guys here and me is that these guys have been riding for a lot longer. So all I have to do is put in the time to catch up to them and so while guys were out you know guys that were on the top were out partying and cruising i was waking up at 6 a.m and stretching and riding and and you know just, yeah the determination was pretty real at that point in time and and even you know once i, I kind of made it known in new zealand i'm like i'm like i'm gonna be a world champion Did and you- people i copped a lot a lot of flack at the time people you know thought i was maybe full of myself or told me that Oh, you're, ne- you're never going to do this or that, and that—that that was like I was saying earlier. That would—that was a driving force for me to be able to kind of be like, "Fuck you, let me show you." Yeah, and also, how much of the driving force, like, just to do it for the for your own country too? Was that a huge that, thing? It was. It was so awesome to be, and you know, because New Zealand is classic for having like this, like what they call tall poppy syndrome, mm. where if someone gets a bit too gets a bit too high in the in the rankings people like to cut them down for whatever, oh, whatever. Australia, yeah, Australia, same, Australia, Australia, is, Australia and New Zealand are very what are you trying to better yourself or something mate <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah they make yeah. Be, other people feel uncomfortable yeah. about the fact that they're maybe not pushing as hard or they're not as goal orientated or what have you instead of, it's funny in America I find it a lot more everybody's a lot more supportive of everybody yeah not trying to chop people down to size yeah so it's much. literally our culture it's it like is. our culture it and I, I do like it in a way like my mates that i grew up with give me so much shit and i kind of like it they, they make sure i'm like i'm kept down on earth but it's like when i go i know i'm in for it every time i hang out with them but i also love it yeah i just love well, we're probably feeding used to it and getting it fed yeah and it's like what my question for you is what did that feel like because not many people have had this feeling, you know, is actually winning a world title, being the world's best at something, not for, for you, for your family, for your country, for like everything that you've worked towards. What was that moment like? The first one, the first one was awesome because I'd like dreamed about it for a long time, obviously. And I was like, you know, I was like so goal orientated and passionate about it. But the first one was probably also, you know, because I was I was young and there was a, 
there was also a bit of a, a detriment probably to maybe people around me because I was so like single focused maybe in, in terms of like uh, the way I might have selfishly acted or whatever whereas of once it came around to the second one I was in a much more of a, a kind of a relaxed position yeah. where I I could give my focus to the sport but I could also give my focus to the friends and family and fans and people around me without having to completely shut myself off in this like yeah in this like tunnel vision you know what I mean um and the second one I think the second one always weighs weighs more or or feels better because now it's not a fluke yeah you know you like could, you've you could, really done it yeah and and to be honest the two world titles they obviously meant a lot but winning the australian pro tour series was probably like the single biggest one for me because there's there's something winning a a single competition on a single day when you're already at at, at a top pro level like anyone can do that like mick fanning can show up and win a uh, ct at snapper or one yeah. single event but for you to be able to win a serious like you've had to consistently be the best over an entire year then that's a that's another thing and i've never felt pressure like the pressure i felt for like when i knew that like when i knew that the entire season came down to one single heat against one single guy and i either went out and i beat him and i win and i win the overall series or I go out and I choke and I lose the series. It's like I've never felt that much. Yeah, how do you how like, do you perform in that mm. pressure? How do you do? Because I don't, I can't. I was like, like I shaking in my boots. <laughs> I was like, I, the I remember the the final stop of the Aussie two, Pro Tour series, and this was the the previous two years I'd been coming second place to Daniel Watkins each year and I was getting really pissed off that I was like hating being a bridesmaid to yeah. him, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, and, and the third year I just came in just guns blazing from the start. And I was like, I just set out to win every single contest. So I left kind of left nothing on the table. By the time we got to the last stop, which was at, at Bly Bly at the Sunshine Coast, um, we went through the heats and we're, we, people could see okay if Jeff makes it through this heat and Daniel makes it through this heat you could kind of see okay it kind of gets to that crux point and I went up against uh, this guy that at the time should have been like an easy like a really easy like it was a pretty easy matchup for me yeah but I just had to beat this one guy but I was so shaky it was so hard to to really relax and and ride properly and I and I kind of uh, squeaked through that event but then as soon as i squeaked through that that heat and i knew i won like i knew i'd won the overall series <clears throat> it was so easy for me to go through the rest of the day and i won the actual contest as well because the pressure was all off. the pressure went off and i just rode like rode like better than i like a road so relaxed and that and yeah. that was the, the, the hard point it, i i almost felt during my career that i knew when i was going to win a contest I would wake up in the morning and I would know that I was going to win before I ever stepped out on the water because you would, you could get into this mental headspace. But then once you've been in that mental headspace and you're trying to get to that mental headspace and sometimes you end up, it's all mental. As soon as you're relaxed, as soon as you, you know, because you know what to do. Yeah, you just to go out and, and, and have it. that confidence to do it. Is it just like, confidence? Yeah. So what, <clears throat> what was the process in that heat where you say you just pulled it through, you're shaking and everything? 
like, did you have a process for those moments to get yourself in the zone? You know, how we see athletes sit there and they, they get, they get so ultra focused. And I always wonder with all that pressure, everyone watching to go out and perform like that. Go like for me anyways, it was very tunnel vision. Like I couldn't tell you like so many things about that day in terms of like maybe people I spoke to or like people would probably came and talk to me and I probably just looked right through them. You know, like I just like my mind was, you could talk to me and I probably talk to you, shake your hand, whatever. But my, like my focus was so, so elsewhere or was like in my own head that I, yeah, it was, you know, there's a lot riding on it. Right. So you're not, you're not really thinking about, all the rigmarole and all the stuff around when you go off the dock you don't even you don't even hear the sound i guess they say like a like a fighter that steps in a ring like yeah. as soon as you step in the ring you don't hear the crowd you don't even hear anything because you're so laser focused on the on the job at hand and you need to you need to do what you came there to do what you've spent you know maybe months or years prep preparing to do yeah and it's time to execute it yeah and it's like and there's nothing worse than choking like that is the worst the worst feeling. Mm. The, I mean, I, I remember the the year before I won the, the Pro Tour series, we were it came down to the wire and we were actually competing outside of Pacific Fair here on the Gold Coast in the canal there. And it was me and Daniel again, again. Head, again head to head and we were there and I went out and I knew the run I had to do and I like got through my first half of my run. Everything was good. Got through the, came through the second half of my run. I needed to put two two really heavy tricks down and nail it and I fell once fell twice and I knew it was over and I just like when, I, I was like I came in I like I spat the dummy real hard like I remember just kind of had a bit of an Andy eye and smashed my board on the dock kind of a yeah. moment it's like you know looking back now it's kind of funny because you know everybody's like oh that's such a you know a bad sportsman or this and that but it's it's hard to control those emotions when you've spent an entire year working up to a single moment and then you come up short because of your own shortcomings and just yeah. like it's a hard pill to swallow you know oh my god yeah i've got like anxiety just thinking about that <laughs> moment you know like being in those moments it's just like ultra um like when i, re- oh, I so remember watching you know watching andy irons and kelly slater going head to head you know and when andy took it from her i remember seeing that shot of slater standing at you know like at at, at the at the house with a shower going yeah Yeah. pipe and i think it was maybe his brother there or something like trying to console him and i was just like oh i like nearly cried for him i was like i know know that that feeling of just yeah it's like you've put you've given or you've given your soul yeah and then you've come up short still but i suppose that's why you do it for those times when you pull it off like do you you miss that moment where you like do you miss those moments where you're so focused so connected and you're in that flow state. I suppose it is kind of flow state, well, eh? You know what's funny about that is that the the only other two times I ever feel flow state is big barrels or base jumping. Oh, dude. I was just thinking, I'm going to cross fingers touch wood here because <laughs> I just had this thought. I'm touching it again. Yeah. Because <laughs> like we're talking about wakeboarding and in flow state. And if you fuck up, you fall and you hit water. Yeah. You know, and then I started thinking you're a base jumper now. That's what you've come into. Yeah. And you've got to be in your flow state for everything to go right. Mm. But it's not a sport you can fuck up. Correct. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. There's, there's, but, but you know what? That's, it's, that is almost more of the re that it's so much, it's so easy for me to connect into that flow state now 
when I'm base jumping. Because when, you, when you've spent time preparing and then when you get somewhere and then you get to the top of whatever you're going to jump off and you, you, that's where you can't, when you, when you truly decide, okay, the conditions are right. I feel good. Everything's good. There's no reason that I shouldn't jump. You've asked yourself the right questions. You've done the preparation that you think is, is right. Then you, I pretty much tune into that flow state right away and it feels, feels really good because I'm in a, I'm, I'm really relaxed in that state now. I like it. Do you, okay. Well, for you, Right. Do you guys go off intuition? Is it a thing within the sport that you have to strongly follow your intuition? Like if it doesn't feel right, you don't do it. I try and I do a lot. I do a lot of coaching or teaching guys that are coming into the sport nowadays. And I, and I strongly try and like, there's, there's lots of things we look at. We look at weather and we look at winds and we look at, you know, um, the setups for, for your skill level because I mean just like snowboarding or anything else you can be a, a green level base jumper or a black double black diamond level base jumper so it's, it depends on the object or the place or the line that you're doing but I absolutely believe in intuition and <clears throat> as Kayla will tell you like a, like we were talking earlier about a friend of mine Ash that passed away a few years back after he passed away for for a while obviously I didn't want to jump I didn't have the I always say, you know, like unless you are absolutely a hundred percent want to do it, then you shouldn't do it unless that you have that feeling, right? Now, I remember soon after he passed away, and I finally was getting to the position where I was like, I need to go back and jump, but I don't want to jump with anyone else because I don't want to be responsible for anyone but myself. And I remember climbing up a up an antenna, and I called her and said, Hey, you know, like I'm up here, everything feels good, everything looks good. I was like, but I just have this like uneasy feeling in my stomach and i'm just like i don't know whether it's am i just being a pussy because of the experiences that yeah like is it trauma yeah, or is it my yeah, intuition what, you know what is it is it and i was like no i this doesn't feel right i have to climb down and i climb and i climb myself down and then come back home and i've and i've had that several times now where if i if i have that feeling i come home and i'll pull my gear out and i'll inspect my gear did i pack it right did i i'll check over every little piece of the equipment and stuff like that and i have i have in the past found a mistake in my in my rigging and packing and it probably wouldn't have been fatal but maybe that was my intuition telling me hey everything's mm. not right let's not let's not do it so. yeah it's a sport it's i'm a tree <clears throat> climber like it's something i do on my side hustle but it's you um, got any tall trees for me huh <laughs> to jump it, oh mate, there actually is. <laughs> I only need about forty-five meters. Really? Yeah. And you got to pull there's straight some, away. There's, yeah, there's some boys down. Uh, there's a couple down south actually. We had some friends just come up through from uh, Victoria and WA, and they come through actually a few weeks ago, and they um, showed us some videos of uh, they had a mate with a you know like forty-five, fifty-meter tree that they did a static line jump out of. It's pretty awesome. I was like, I haven't done a tree base jump, so it's on the it's on the right up on the list of things that I want to do. Yeah. So, so how did you get into base jumping? Like, I know you said you did. It was always what you wanted to do. Yep. But what was the moment that just went? Well, I was probably about twenty four years old, and I, you know, I just had this nag, this thing in my, you know, after for years. Oh, that's something I want to do. How do I do it? And I came across some people, and I was like, well how do you learn to base jump? Like, what is the, what's the path? Yeah. And they said, well, you need to start skydiving first. And ah. so I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So on a trip in New Zealand with, um, 
J-Star Wakeboards, who was my sponsor at the time, and probably I think I was like 25, we were down wakeboarding there and we had we had a day, like a crappy rainy day or something, and then we were going to have a day off the day after. So we went into Taupo and I had the credit card from the, from the wakeboard company to kind of, because we were on a video trip to kind of do whatever we wanted with. And I said to the boys, oh, it'd be cool to do like a skydive and maybe a bungee jump in our video. We're going to film here. We'll, we'll put it as some fun stuff in, in yeah. the mix. Really, I just wanted to go skydiving. It was a great excuse for me to use the company card yeah. to, to pay for it. So we ended up um, we ended up going for a skydive, like a tandem skydive in Taupo, and it was absolutely it was every. I I mean, I told the instructor, I was like, "This is something that I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to get my license. I like, can I fly the thing? What can I do? Show me how it works. Like, mm. talk to me. I had a, you know a million questions, like every punter that knows nothing about it does." did that and then when i went back to florida probably six months later i went and um went and did my license what is your accelerated freefall course and did my license and did like my first 50 or 60 jumps and, and what was funny so what, yeah how do you start oh wait sorry sorry what is funny is that as much of a mecca for wakeboarding Orlando and the Florida area it also happens to be a massive mecca for skydiving now I didn't even really realize that at the time and I you know ended up bumping into a few professional skydivers here and there in Orlando and it didn't really didn't really register but it's funny now because the connections that I have in the sport now are actually from all the way back then in those in those yeah, days right. yeah so when you first get your license there to start base jumping what do oh, they so just do it off a crane sky, so this is skydiving oh, this is skydiving so this is sky, so this is when I'm 24 Four twenty-five. So I'm. I don't even do. I don't even base jump till I'm thirty-two. Is base jumping so base illegal? Jump, base like jumping fully? is always off a object, where skydiving's you know obviously out of a plane or a hot air balloon or something like that. Base jumping is depends where you are. It's not. It's not illegal in some countries. It's totally illegal in some other countries. It depends where you are. Is that what enticed you to it as well? No, I don't really care about the legality. Just um, something you want to do. It's, it's it's actually to be honest here in Australia is a bit of a pain in my ass because I would rather I would rather go to be able to go somewhere and go jump with my friends during the daylight hours when it's probably a bit safer and I can see more rather than having to sneak around in the dark or waiting for full moons or right so, winds and stuff like that. So, so is it fully illegal in Australia? Um, if you are jumping off something that you don't have permission to jump off, then yes. And it's hard to get permission. Um, yeah, that's right. Like, you know, think about like how much of a liability state we are. Everything's, you've got to have like OH, you know, like everything yeah. here is liability, liability, right? So like if I go to a building here on the on the Gold Coast and, and ask them for permission, you think they're going to give me permission to go no. jump off their thing? Probably not. So, okay, okay. I have so many questions here. Go. This is just, uh, yeah, okay, go. so... Okay, but, but in saying that, there is some places in Australia, there are some cliffs, some places in some parks, um, stuff like that. That is, is it's not like base jumping. It, there's not like a law that says base jumping is illegal per se. Versus, it's more like like in Queensland they have what's called a participating in a high risk unregulated activity, which is just a blanket police law for. Fuck, you could be jumping off of the rock pools and they could pull you up on that one if they really wanted to mm. right that's just you'd have to be be careful from what you said before with your intuition jumping for base jumping from what i know and i i don't want you to get yourself into any trouble and say anything that you you can't say for, mm. for the sport but i know a lot of stuff it's like you know they kind of got to break into things or like you know be a bit secretive to get to yep. somewhere to, to jump 
But if you go through that whole process and then your intuition comes in and you're like, oh, I don't feel like jumping, you kind of can't back out in that situation. It depends. It depends. You, some places you can climb down. Have you ever been right. in a spot where you like, it doesn't feel right and climb down? Oh, heaps of times. And, 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 and to be honest now, I tell like lots and lots of guys that I'm, co- well, that I'm teaching now when I'm like, I'm like, I've walked down more times than you've jumped. So don't worry. Like, don't think that like, if you get up there and something doesn't feel right, or you just, maybe you get up there and you realize man, I'm tired. And I'm like, I'm not, a hundred percent psyched on this and I'm maybe more scared than I should be or you're not switched then, on. Yeah, like you need to, to be, you need to be like 110%. You need to want to have to do this right? because you're should... putting your life on your, on the line. And you know that, Hey, mm. like, Oh God. So, just, just like, okay, would you mind? I'm so excited. Like, <laughs> would, you, would you mind if telling me a, a story mm. without blowing anything? Is yeah. there, is there any story you can tell me of how you've jumped off something? Yeah. Without giving yeah, away yeah, yeah. anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean there's there is there's many ways to get let's let's say buildings, for example. There's many ways to get in buildings. Depends if it's a construction site or if it's a building that's already a residential tower or, or what have you. And um and you know, some people do some people really love the urban night stuff, right? Like so some of the the I guess the pull to it is the the James Bond esque feeling that you might get from um, you know it's the bit a bit of the thrill of the chase whether it's um, skirting security or picking locks or having to you know abseil off the a side of a ledge to get to a an, a, an appropriate exit point or landing and then being able to like stash your gear quick enough that you don't get um, you know chased by the police so or do, you, do you have to fully plan a heist yeah basically it's a heist plan every time except what are we stealing gravity yeah so, so like so like let's just say that there's a building <laughs> yep right like a really high building in a city yep you and your mates you sit down you get on like google maps on the streets on everything yep. plan where your cars are going to be for your extraction yep. your drop-off point where you're going to run if do you plan like if cops all come how you're going to get away all of those things okay so i've been um <clears throat> just recently been teaching Harry Bink how to yeah, yeah, uh, base jump. Now yeah, he's right. a freestyle motocross rider. He's been, um, he's been skydiving for a while. He's been interested in base jumping. We have a structure, we'll call it at the moment, that is, um, that's quite large. That's, um, we spend a lot of time looking at it just from the out. <laughs> Oh, oh. Jojo. Jojo Jojo just bailed Kangaroo just <laughs> fell over You're right, mate You're right, Jojo um, well, You know, you'll spend a bit of time looking at the object And, and with these guys that are learning I'll, We'll teach them, okay when, we're, when we come to All we're doing with base jumping really is, is Risk assessment at the end of the day All you're doing is assessing the risk Whether it be like the appropriate weather conditions That are needed and why why different conditions are appropriate for different objects, whether it be a crane or whether it be a building or whether it be an antenna or whether it be a cliff. Those situations change for each one and how high it is. Is it a short one? Is it a medium size or is it it very large? Um, And then there's the 
you've got to figure out landing areas. Are there, what, what's, what's an obstruction in the landing area? Can we jump off this thing and land on the beach? Or is there trees that we have to worry about or a park? Or do we have to land in the street? Do we need to have someone that is with a getaway car? But then if we have a getaway car, we want to make sure that we don't have our plates on it because if someone catches a plate, they're going to find out who you are. So maybe you have to put a fake plate on it or no plates on it. You know, like there's all these things oh, to take into consideration. so much fun. But um, yeah, it, it is. And, and it's really fun. Once you get somewhere pretty dialed, it becomes pretty easy. But it, the, the hard work is figuring out the process. Okay, so <clears throat> whatever hotel in Burley has a... Uh, security cameras and XYZ points and they have an alarm on the door that goes into the garage. So do you just go scout this? Oh yeah, yeah. So you scout scout all this stuff way previously, right? So you you spend a bit of time figuring it out. You might have to sit outside somewhere in your car like you're a detective and just watch who's coming and going and stuff like that. So by the time we actually do a jump, it's sometimes such a small portion to the amount of time and effort that's taken to get into how something. often do you get caught and don't get to do it or you can't make it um well getting caught and even getting sent even getting i say the best the best type of base jump especially when it comes to like urban illegal stuff the best type of base jump is one that nobody sees yeah and by nobody i mean like nobody like not some random drunk person walking down the street which sometimes and if you're jumping at two o'clock on a saturday morning random revelers that are walking by sometimes they you know you're standing on top of a building or somewhere and you're like well, you got to just wait for them to waltz on by so that they don't... Because the sound of a parachute opening sounds like shotgun blast because mm. um, it opens quick and fast. So, you know, it does catch people's attention if they do hear it. So. Imagine a guy in their living room on the high rise. <laughs> just I'll, just falling. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a good story. Yeah. There's a building on the, on the Gold Coast called Focus. Everybody used to jump it back in the day all the time. Right on the, right on the thing. Used to be pretty easy to get into. It's residential. They couldn't, the building people couldn't figure out. And the reason I can tell you this is nobody jumps it anymore because it's basically, when, we, when a building's compromised, we call it getting burnt. Yeah. It's been burnt. It's done. Nobody, nobody's going to touch it anymore. Um, but <laughs> you used to, guys used to jump it. And then you, you know, so this is 30 stories. So you're probably opening it about the 15 story mark. So the canopy open, boom, cracks open. So guys are getting in it, you know, two, three, four o'clock in the morning and jumping it. Well, one one guy happened to be lots. One guy happened to be working on it, and he was a um, like an abseiler, like window cleaner and stuff like that. So he had jumped it the night before, and some resident had seen him, and he was wearing the clothes that he'd been wearing the day before in the building, or was wearing them the very next day. So he gets in the lift and he's going and he's going up in the lift and some old guy goes, so there's him and an old guy and then there's the building manager, but neither of these two realize that this guy's a building manager. So the old guy says to the young, the jumper, you jumped off our building last night, didn't you? And he's like, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, I know. Cause you set me bloody dogs off and you're wearing the same clothes. But the building manager goes, wait, you got dogs. It wasn't meant to have dogs. <laughs> so then there's this awkward standoff in the lift because they're like, yeah. ah, he's been caught for jumping, but he's got dogs. And this guy's like, now they're like, oh shit, what do we do here? Well, can you tell us the high story? You don't have to give <clears> up the details, but how you pulled one of them off. Um, or like, 
Do you dress up? Yeah, dressing like, up can be pretty fun, actually. Oh, I was like, like how do you get away with not looking like a skydiver or um, a base jumper? And, and that's, the, that's the funny thing. You know, we talk about... I, t- I tell... Yeah, just don't dress like one. That's right. Look, if you walk into a building and you look like a SWAT team, like yeah. you're like in boots and black and you're wearing a freaking, you know, a T-shirt that has a, maybe a logo that has something to do with skydiving or, or base jumping. It's not going to be very smart, right? But actually, one of my favorite people to jump with is TJA. He's the most... The TJ is a buddy of mine from the US and he's the most uh, unassuming guy. He's American, always wears like, like you know, like gray or kind of brown slacks and uh, maybe a, like a bright floral, like Hawaiian T-shirt. And he just looks like a dude on holiday. Like, and he's, you know, he's not particularly, you know, he doesn't look like he's, you know, he doesn't look like a SWAT team member. He's like, not like, you know, built like a brick shit. He's just like, he's just average cruising, cruising dude. But he's like the ninja of all ninja. He's done, he's done so many buildings all over the world. Like I've jumped in Florida with him. I've jumped all over the world with him. But, but it is fun to go to places when you, okay, so say you need to get into a building and you're like, oh. I need to get up the lift, but I don't have a key because I need to get in a stairwell. So yeah, maybe you dress up. You know, maybe you bring the girls. Maybe you look like you're um, all checking into the hotel. I don't know. You got a couple of suitcases. You look nice. You dressed up. You Anything in the suitcases? Like, do you have yeah, the gear that you leave there? Yeah, yeah, no, all our base gear. So say oh. we go up with the girls, all the girls as well. We'll pile into a, to, into a thing and go up and get off on whatever floor that the person gets off, and then we get into the stairwell, and then we. St- then we then we change our clothes out into then we will look like a SWAT team once we're in the stairwell and the girls take the suitcases out we take our base rigs and then we go up to the top and gently pick the lock and skirt the alarm and where we go and we're how do you skirt the alarm and pick the lock <laughs> like just that's um oh, uh, yeah, things yeah. you learn along the way right. <laughs> yeah 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 oh man just to like yes yeah. there's many things you can learn on the internet yeah so you, <laughs> if look, you look hard enough, yeah yeah right? okay so yeah 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 and you can't say and you can't say why because then they'll so yeah okay so then you get to the roof oh my god there's so much adrenaline just in the first part just in the whole sneaking around well, think about if you're in if you're in the if you're in the stairwell with all your gear and your dress looking sketchy because and someone happens to come up the stairwell like you're you're caught like a rat yeah has that ever happened um i had actually i had a time with tj where we walked into we were just sussing stuff out so we weren't we were still trying quite often you'll go and we'll try you try and figure out all the steps without yeah without gear so that way you look if anyone catches you oh we just wanted to get have smoke on the roof or wanted to go catch a photo like actual base jumpers right like yeah you know you can probably talk yourself out but anyways we walked into this hotel probably like six or seven o'clock in the evening walked past the reception guy got in the lift and it was one of these old school ones so it was the lift that you could still press the button and go to whatever roof so we go up to the top get the stairwell go trying to get access to the roof and we um and we're he's messing with the lock trying to see if he can get it and then i hear the door from where we had just come down around the corner, the door, I heard the door open and I like, I stopped him. We like stood there dead still. And what I think has happened is the manager has seen us walk in and seen us go up and go to the top floor. And then he's just like, huh? And I think he's kind of chased us up there and he opened the door expecting to hear noise in the, in the stairwell. And we just stood dead still. If he'd like come right, 
around the corner, he would have we would have just been. He would have found you. We, we would have found us, but but we we stood. I just caught TJ. I was like, and we're like standing there still, and then he closed the door and went away. <laughs> so then we we were like, okay, well we don't want to just go back out the way we came down. So we're like, well, let's go down the stair. We'll just walk all the way down the stairwell, and usually the stairwells led out onto a side street. Walk all the way down the stairwell. I thought I had the side street and I opened the door and the door was into the reception with the with the guy looking straight at me. So I just had to play it off like I meant to walk out of there. So <laughs> I just like I didn't it didn't even stall. Like you always gotta have like a plan. Like, yeah. You always gotta have like if yeah, you, act like you meant to be there. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> I just like I opened the door and as I was opening it I realized and he's looking straight at me. And so I just like walked right past him and I have a good night, sir. And just waltzed out the front door. And he's just looking at me like, I know something's going on, but I don't know what. When we walked out of there, I met TJ. I was like, that was close, man. Oh, man. Me, me and this girl went on a date once. And I come up with the idea that, that there was a festival going on in Port Macquarie. Yeah. And... um this girl's coming down and she's, she's still a really good mate of mine. So she, I, I hope she listens to this because we're great mates, but um, she's coming down to hang out. And uh, I was like, Oh, I'm trying to think of what's, what's going to be on something for us to do. We look up and there's this, I think the festival of the sun or this, this festival on in Port Macquarie. And I look up and it's sold out. And I was like, and I've already told him, oh, there's this festival on sick. I'm like, let's go to it. I'll get us tickets. And then yeah. I look up, it's sold out. And I just called her. I was like, wait, sold out. Let's sneak into it. And she's like, all right. So, Next thing, mate decides to come with us. Now there's three of us. I'm like, how are we going to sneak in this thing? I was like, put high vis on and pretend like we're working there. Yeah. And we literally just put high vis on and walked straight through the front. Yeah. Just straight through the front, straight into it. This guy came up behind us and started going, oh, and we just ignored him, just kept walking. And yep. he just went, oh, and just left us. So we kept walking. We walked in and I was like going straight for the toilet, like where all the toilet. Yeah. Um, demountable things are and we go all go into the dunnies take our high vis off and then like hide them behind the dunnies and then go back out yeah and we go out and we have this amazing night like we watch um all these really good bands and we start making friends with everyone yeah and so we made friends with this one big group of like people that could have been our parents like kind of 20 30 years older than us yeah this huge group of people <laughs> anyway um aussie crawl play they finish their set and I'm like, let's go try and get backstage. Hunters and collectors are about to start playing the last act of the night. I'm like, let's try and get backstage. Like, we have so much confidence we've now. I've just pulled yeah, everything off. Far. We've come this far. Let's try and get back to the stage. And um, she's loving being a mum to your wife, to the <laughs> kangaroo. To the mom. kangaroo. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I'm like, we've, we've pulled this off. Let's try and get backstage. We'll just pretend like we're maintenance workers and we'll walk behind the gate. Yeah. So we go back, get the high vis on. Walk to like the front front of the stage and go to walk backstage. As soon as we do, security just pounce on us, absolutely just jump on us, get like pro- like proper like take us down. They're like, "You guys are snuck in the jump defense. Quick, get get the police, get the police." And we're like, and I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. you know, like, whoa, chill out, guys. You know, misunderstanding, yeah. misunderstanding." And then and next thing, the police come. They're like, "Yeah, arrest these guys, take them." I said to the police, "I go, oh look, like we're in here, we've been in here all day. Like it's all cool." And they're like, well, "Where's your tickets?" Where's your, and I was like, oh, my mum's got them. Like, they're just with our, our family, all right? Look, we'll, we'll go get them. I'm trying to think of my feet here. And yeah. The police are like, they're pretty cool, but the security guards, like, want us, you know, yeah, like, yeah, they yeah. freaking want yeah. blood, you know? So the police start walking us That's... back with the security guards. So now me, me, there's three of us, and we're walking along, and next thing we see um, the big group of, like, older people, 
that were with and they're like, oh, what's happening? You guys are right. And I said, and I go, it's all right. We'll, we'll be back in a second. No problem. We're just, we're just being smart asses. We're just going to go talk for a second. They're like, oh, let us know if you need anything. This big group of older people yeah. we've met. So they've walked us back and I've said to the cops, hey, that, yeah, that's me, mom. That's our family or whatever. Um, it's all cool, you know. And we go back and they kind of separated us to get our stories. And I started talking real loud. I said, yeah, look, my mum bought us the ticket. They're up there partying. By this stage, hunters and collectors are starting. I said, look, I'll just go get our tickets. It's all cool. Like, well, you know, they said, all right, well, we'll just hold you here for a bit. Go get your tickets. So I've just run up knowing I can't get any tickets. And I've run around where those people were and pretended like, oh, I can't find them run back and I've gone to the cops. I was like, look, mums, they're all, they're all, all my family's gone up. They're all partying. They're up the front for hunters and collectors. Yeah. I can't find them. I go, look, like we're having a good family day. Like we're, we're just having fun. <laughs> we're happy to leave. We'll just go stand out the front and yeah. leave. And the guy goes, oh mate, yeah, I, I really get where you're coming from. Like, oh, I don't really want to ask you to leave, but these security guards really, they really think you've jumped the fence. They just want you out of here. And I was like, Oh yeah, mate. It's all cool. Like, if that's what they really want, like, look, I, you know, like, I don't want to wreck the day for my family or anything. Yeah. Meanwhile, my mates, I'm saying it loud enough that they're saying the same thing to their cop. The cop comes up to me and goes, "Oh, yeah, maybe it's best if you just go stand out the front. I'm real sorry, guy. Oh, like you got to leave. You know, maybe it's best. It'll just save drama." And I said, "Yeah, look, I said save drama. We're happy to do that. I'll just stand out the front." He goes, "Yeah, but if we kick you out, you got to go 500 meters away." And I go, "Mate." come on, we're not hurting anything. I'll just go out, out the front and wait for me, for my family. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Oh, look, I'm real sorry about it. And the other cops are apologising to us. And we're like, awesome. that's all right, mate. We'll that's cool, that's time. cool. We're cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like, we just pulled it off so good. We had the funnest night. And it, and it was even so much fun getting arrested and getting let out by yeah. the Like, it was just so much fun. It, it is fun to, to, and I always, I talk to this with the boys that I'm teaching is, is just like, you've got to have a good story and be confident and then you know that's half the fun right it's Dude, like, I, I mean can't... at the end of the day at the end of the day the very worst thing that can happen is you get a thousand dollar trespassing fine it's like yeah who cares really like that's yeah. that's it like you know and just like, have that ready to go always uh, this is my when i when i fucked I mean? up and like, got caught you're not gonna go to jail yeah you're not, like you're not you're not vandalizing property you're not stealing anything you're not harming anyone else so when you pull it off and you're standing on top are you once you're on top are you like do you get moments to like chill and look out or is it do all the, the boys get part, ready and most, you gotta nah for the most part yeah you've got you've got all the time you want once you're, once you're on the roof you usually got a fair, fair amount of time I'll show you some photos after yeah and then is it just like because I suppose once one jumps, then attention's come to it. So do you well, jump depends, off different sides? It depends sides? where you. It depends where you're at and what time it is, and 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 all that kind of stuff too. You know, like you can jump parts of the parts of the cities where where there's not really that much people around. So you might just have to wait for a car or some people to walk by through a park or something like that. Or or you know, or sometimes you know it's two three o'clock in the morning. You know, I've had I had a time. Remember when that building, that building, Kayla, and we went up, um, and I jumped the crane off the, I jumped the crane off the side, and it was like you and Azza and that on the beach, and then those, my canopy opened, and yes. there, then there was two construction workers, in the like council workers in the back, and they, like I came and landed, and I had a, at this time I had a bright pink parachute, um, like bright bright neon pink, and so they had seen me like flying towards the beach, but then by the time they came round. They, I was next to them, but we're in the sand dunes and I was putting my gear away and they're like, Hey, there's some guys coming up behind us. So I just like 
disappeared into the sand dunes and just like took my knee pads and stashed my gear in a stash bag. And then I just said, I said to them, oh, you guys just walk off back to the car going north and I'll sneak through the sand dunes and I'll just, I got my phone, I'll sneak up and come back to you. So I stashed all my gear, but I was, I was wearing stuff like I was like a Saturday night, like I had a nice shirt on, nice pair, like pair of shoes and just black pants. So I didn't really like look, just look like Saturday night, like two o'clock in the morning, right? So I walk out from the south. These guys have walked north after, kind of after those guys, but then there's nobody there with a parachute. And so I walk out, pretending I'm talking on my phone. I just walk past them and I see them like looking around. I walk right by them. I'm like, hey, boys, how's it going? You guys having a good night? You know, like, yeah. like and I'll just keep pretending like I'm talking on my phone. I'm like, have a good one. Just keep walking on. And they're just like, dude, they, they, they don't know where they're like, what do you guy with the pink parachute? Now we can't find it. Like, what the hell's going on? You know, know. it's like, it's pretty funny. It's pretty, dude, it's freaking awesome. <laughs> Because, okay, okay, it's funny, like, we haven't even talked about the jumping part. It's just like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's like you get to do a heist. There's so much in an, fun. In, a, in, an urban, in an urban kind of... I've always loved, yeah. like, when I, was, when I was, like, 15 to 18, it was always sneaking into pubs. I remember the Mermaid Tavern, like, the boys would go in and open up the toilet window, which was, like, kind of a... It wasn't two stories up, it was, like, a story and a half. Yeah. And they'd lift me up through the toilet window. <laughs> you know, it was awesome. just like, I just... Sneaking into stuff so much fun. Yeah, I'm good. like now, it's like I'm inspired time. just to go try and sneak into things. Like I want to base jump but not do the jump part because you, like... you can do that as soon as your knees good again. Yeah, oh yeah, the... probably walking up 39 st- stories of stairs right now is not going to work yeah, out. It's going to swell up. And... <laughs> Man, I won't be able to get away. Yeah, and there's also like there's the hobble. Yes, you know, yeah. like straight up, it's like you can't blend in. There's the guy yeah, with the hobble. Right. Well, and you know what? The, the fun thing is too is is over the time, you know, I've become a, a fairly well-known base jumper around the area. Like, if anybody knows a base jumper, they'll... Like you said, you you knew, you knew Tomek, and obviously we're linked pretty close together. Yeah. The two of us know each other very well. It's surprising after people kind of know that you're a jumper, especially if they, like, condone it and they think it's kind of cool. It's fucking that, sick. <laughs> that people come to you with security keys or you know like swipe cards or like things kind of just or someone calls you and they're just like i'm on the 50th floor of this building with some guys partying and they said you can jump off the balcony like i'll be there in an hour you know shit like that like so oh here's a good one here's a good one for you so i took um you know this guy uh shami Oh yeah, Shami. Yeah, does, Marty and Michael, mates the, of mine, does the like the pranks on everyone. Yeah, yeah. don't know how he doesn't get punched in the face. All the time. <laughs> Side note, but anyway, yeah. so so a guy named this uh, guy named Alex Hayes brought Shami and these guys down to skydive Byron Bay all, like two years ago to come and do a skydive. So we were, we were just about the end of the day, and they just kind of walked in and and they're like, "Oh, can you take these guys for a jump?" And, I was, and so. Charmy's coming with me so we're in the plane and we're talking and he's like yeah we just got this this penthouse apartment on the Meriton and Southport and I was like oh yeah that's cool and then I'm like oh yeah we um we like to base jump a bit hey he's like really I'm like do you think we could maybe come and have a look at your your balcony oh yeah yeah okay so that night we're like Hey, we're coming to your balcony. <laughs> so we, we roll up there and you know, like it's not like it's very windy on the Gold Coast a lot of the time. So we um get up there and we're like, man, it is just perfect. We're like, 
we're sending it. Do you have to make sure the wind is blown away from the building? You want you don't really want to jump a building with any wind because the turbulence wraps around. Oh, you get eddies. And it, yeah, it comes like wraps and wraps back in, so you can get end up getting an off heading opening, and and the parachute will fly you back into the object, which is not going to be very good for my health. No. <laughs> so usually, a no no wind is best for 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 a. For a a solid object like a building or a cliff but yeah so we went up there and um yeah i had been trying to get into that building while they were building it and they were just they had sensors all over the thing and stuff in that like trip wires in the stairwell and bits and pieces and i you know i, I knew some guys working construction on it while i was like trying to get info but just couldn't really make it happen and then um yeah these guys we bumped into these guys the next minute hello we're in what the- what does it feel like jumping when- um, for me, it feels like the moment you, the, the, probably the best way to explain it because you're a surfer is like, it feels like getting barreled when you, when you, you know, time stands still. Stand still when you, when you're getting barreled and like you see colors better, you hear intricate little things, you taste, you smell, you like everything. Like for me, as soon as I step off something, it's like life gets put on pause just full pause button and you just like take everything in and you're that you know, everything's in slow motion your reactions are like like so perfect in that moment and then it's like and then the parachute opens when it goes back into normal normal or fast paced yeah speed and then you again. cruise on down that's yeah. what i always find skydive and the next thing you're just cruising yeah it's just like so one yeah yeah it's yeah, a, one level two extremes to isn't it yeah. yeah is that why you still do it like do you that, that feeling for you is it has it died off at, at all or is no, it still just as strong no, i'm nearly i've been in the i've been in the sport eight or nine years now what i say I th- yeah eight years i'm i'm just turned 40 this year and i started when i was 32 i've now jumped all over the world i've jumped in uh, canada all across america all across australia new zealand uh hawaii fiji um and malaysia at like actual live legal base jump demos um which has been cool you know like some places like it's so funny to be in australia and be like oh that's illegal you can't do that and there's so many people that are such nannies about it yeah like and then you go to say malaysia and they invite the world's top 100 base jumpers there and they let you jump off the kl tower for three days straight and they treat you like a damn rock star yeah you know so it's so it's so funny and polarizing and and i think that it is mostly because of liability yeah like like if you die in asia well, that was your risk. You stepped up. You did it. Your fault. No big deal. Yeah. Whereas here, it's like some, if something happens, it couldn't be the person's fault. Like for anything, right? Like, oh, it's, a, it's on council land. Or, oh, it's this. Or oh, it's this. always got to be someone else. Is so Everybody's trying to blame somebody else here. It's like, why can't it be the person's fault doing it? Like, like I carry with me, <clears throat> I carry a, like a, an emergency kit bag with me. With also it was like got knife, it's got emergency response kits. Is you'd be you'd be amazed at the amount of preparation that goes into the stuff that we do. But also I carry in that, um, you know, like um, an information set up with uh, like my blood type, uh, my emergency contacts, um, any you know like ailment, any any things that someone medical might need to know should they find me somewhere, but still alive. And then if they don't, I the same thing. I have a 
I have a photo actually with uh, from Kayla and I that I carry with me, and on the back of it, I've got I've got a little piece written. I'm like, you know, I base jump at my own risk. I if I'm ever if there's ever an accident and I and I am deceased, I don't want anybody to be. Nobody's held responsible for it. This is my responsibility. I'm there. I made the choice. I did the things that led me to be here. This is not the building owner or the landowner's responsibility. This is not the council's res- This is my responsibility, and I yeah. take responsibility for that. I think we live in this weird world here, especially in Australia. Oh, it makes me so sick to deal with this, like, like why yeah, can't... Like- I grew up in New Zealand where we were just like, if something happens, you take responsibility for... If- if you walk into McDonald's and you slip over on the floor and, oh, well, there wasn't a sign saying the floors are wet. Well, why don't you just bloody watch where you're going? Yeah. You know, like, why can't we take responsibility for our, some personal responsibility? And we wouldn't be in this in this state where we now longer can, we can't have any fun anywhere. You can't ride a motorbike here. You can't yeah, and they this. see it as you such recklessness and you're like, it's, it's like, just life. Man, oh, that's you're, a, you're in Mexico, you're holding on to the back of a... Um, a collectiva, you know, a cage on the back of the ute. No one ever gets hurt. You go to Hawaii. <laughs> you, you go know. to Hawaii, and you got a single cab truck, and ten friends are sitting in the tray, and you're cruising down the street to the beach. And like, yeah. how how cool? Like, we all probably think like, how cool were those old days where you could kind of yeah do whatever? You know what I mean? Like, look, you t- life is risk and life is responsibility, and sometimes shit happens. Like, what, it doesn't have to be someone else's fault. Yeah, that's one thing that drives me mental. Like drives with, me crazy in this country. With that, like we said, we said before the podcast, we we're talking about base jumping. You said like, <clears> you know, like twenty. You know, like you, uh, you just threw a number out. Yeah, I'm guessing, but twenty people like a year die from base jumping, or yeah, is is that a, like is that a thing? Or yeah, yeah. So I mean, since like the sports like if fish, it's been. I mean, base jumping's been happening for a long time prior, but the sports real inception came around 1981 which subsequently was the year that i was born but uh by a guy named carl banish and some guys in america and base is an acronym for the things that you can jump off building antenna span and earth so you've got the basically the three different any kind of anything that's a fixed object you can base jump off you know you've got a windmill you've got a you know if you jump out of a hot air balloon or a <clears throat> or a plane or whatever with a single parachute system, it wouldn't be considered a base jump. Yeah. Even though you're using that type of system. It's yeah. like um, just the way they've... Uh, but so anyways, that since that inception, there has been what we call a base fatality list. And you can actually read back through all the people that have died over the years. Um, and we use it as a tool within base jumping to learn. Like there's no reason for people to pass away for mistakes that have been previously made now yeah in the previous years like way back when it was skydiving equipment was being used to base jump and then as the sports grow in and and things have changed now we have very specific gears these days it's not so much gear malfunction like back in the day it was get like a group of guys would go out and one of the crew would go, hey, I've got this idea and I think this will work this way. And then he'd jump and it wouldn't work. And they'd be like, well, we don't do that anymore because, well, Eddie just passed away doing that. So that's how they learn. But that's why we have what we have today. Like some of the old school base jumpers, you know, talk to us and they're like, man, we could never have imagined how far the sport has come. You know, you've got guys 
in wingsuits climbing mountains and then flying for minutes at a time like flying through the pine trees down the down the yeah. side of the mountain like how amazing and how far has it come and it, it's just the same as the Wright brothers and people that were learning to fly planes back in the day it's like there was a progression and there was a time and you know now for us it's uh you know if we have a plane crash it's a big thing because there's you know risk management and stipulations put in place so that if you do x y and z you should be fine right well yeah base jumping's kind of very much same but it's always the human element or the human error that's where the mistakes come and that's usually what happens in a plane crash too or a helicopter crash or some of these other things now take the legality away like you go to new zealand or norway or you know any of these european countries and even places in america it's just another mountain sport. It's just another sport that you can do to enjoy the mountains. You know, that's, there's not, there's no legality about it. It's here in Australia, yes, it's a bit of a pain in the ass. And in some places here and there, obviously with, obviously with buildings and stuff is different. But when you go out into a national park, like if you can rock climb or hand glide or paraglide, or why shouldn't you be able to base jump or fly a wingsuit off? Like, yeah. tell me why. Like, you know, we... You can't say that because they're saying like cause there's such a high risk for you, and that's that's what annoys me too. It's like, well, it's my responsibility, my life. That's... Not, to, not to mention that if we do, if we specifically just talk about national parks, like we lose more people in the national parks each year hiking that go out unprepared than you ever do. Like like like, let's just say Australia for example. Like most of any kind of accidents that happen base jumping, unless it's a fatality, you will never hear about because base jump is self-rescue. If, yeah. someone go, if someone gets stuck on a cliff, we go get our ropes and we, if it's not, not going to lead to a fatality, we will self-rescue every time. So you won't hear about it. So, Does so that this, happen? That what? happens all the time. Like guys, guy breaks an ankle in a, in a gorge and crawls his way out for eight hours because there's no way in hell he's ringing up the rescue helicopter and, <laughs> yeah. and getting, and he's not dying. He's yeah. just got a broken leg. So it's, we, we all know that, that that's the case. If I go in there and I hurt myself badly and it's not life threatening, well then me and my mates will get me out. And that's just, so when you go into places like that, you kind of become a team too. And that's, that's probably one of the things that is so um, awesome about this sport specifically is that you, you build up a camaraderie with your crew very quickly and very close because lives are on the line and it yeah. does matter and you need to and you need to make sure that you the team of crew that you're with that you can trust that if something happens that they're going to do whatever is necessary to make sure that everybody comes home together yeah you know, so on board. the only the only other place that I see that kind of camaraderie is in like special forces and military guys, like yeah. friends that I know of and that they build that, that bond that is, um, it's kind of like, you know, burnt in fire, burnt in those high stress situations. I love that. Yeah. I love it. It's awesome. Man. I, yeah. You become friends with someone real quick when you go hiking in the mountains with them for five hours alone, no cell phone reception, you, you know, there's just the two of you chatting and then you go do something that is life threatening together. You can, you, Oh mate, on pretty quick. I just had it. The last job I did was um, working on this TV show, but I, and I'm not allowed to say what my job was, but it was like well, I can. Yeah, we just had to go out and send it as a team and do some really wild stuff. Yeah, and like we we're just getting put under um, challenges, kind of thing, just to just for testing. Like I don't know how to even say it without saying. Yeah, it. we just had to get, go send it. Though, right, yeah. we just had to go send it. Yep, and. 
because you're in this team trying to pull something wild off every day that was like you had to work together because you had a common goal at the end and you had to look mm. after each other. The whole team had to make it to be able to pull it off so you could pull it off, right? Yeah. And it's it exactly that. I was like, I I hadn't experienced that in for a long... I don't think I've ever experienced that. Like I have in like team sports. Yeah. But that was like another level. Oh, I kind of experienced it sailing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like with your team sailing. But this was just a different level and it's the only way I can relate to it. But it felt so good. Well, it's, funny, it's funny too because you will find a lot of base jumpers are anti-team sports. Like I'm, a, I'm not a team sport guy really like these days. Yet at the same time when I really sit back and look at it, it was like it actually kind of does end up being a team sport stuff in terms of like, like if you see a group of base jumpers on a cliff before and after, like everybody lands and everybody's hugging. Everybody's like, that was fucking awesome. That feels good. We all nailed it. We're all here. Like how good is life? Like how cool are these experiences that we, that we're, that we're here in the mountains doing our thing. You know, like for me, skydiving is the skydiving is the gym for the real thing for me. You know, lots of people just like to skydive and skydiving has, skydiving is very regulated in this country. There's a lot of rules that you have to follow and because you got to, it's a commercial experience and you got to dumb it down for the lowest common denominator is really what it is. Right. But base jumping, you go with, you're in the mountains and you're only with the people that you want to be with and you're nobody's telling you what you can and can't do. You either show up there and you have the skills and you do the thing. It's like big wave surfing. Yeah. Anybody can go jump in the ocean, but if you don't know what you're doing on a big surf day, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Yeah. Right? But except at the beach, you've got the lifeguard telling you, well, you shouldn't do that or he's there to rescue you. Whereas you go base jumping and you go with your mates and you show up and sometimes you show up to a jump and not everyone gets to jump because maybe that jumps a bit out of the, out of the league of uh, one of the people there and, and they might just get to sit there and watch. But, you know, it, nobody's telling you what you can and can't do. You have to make that big boy choice for yourself. I was just in this place in Easter and we, we were doing a really technical jump. It's beautiful 800 foot cliff but landing in a really tight area and by tight i'm talking like like meter wide by you know 10 meters long but with on the edge of a cliff with trees and boulders and and all this kind of stuff and you know a few of us jumped down was all good there was a guy that was with our group that i didn't know of personally myself um the other guys knew him and he jumped um, his landing, like his skills to land in the spot were, were not up to par and he ended up breaking his tib fib right here, sticking out compound fracture. So when he landed and now we've got 10 people at the top of the cliff and girlfriends and this and that, and they, and now the day goes from like a fun day of jumping to now we have to rescue this guy and, you know, and yeah, we're, we're prepared to do it. Like it, it, it's got to be done. It was like, I didn't know the guy and I've flown down for a, for a weekend of jumping. And now I've got to spend the rest of the day rescuing this guy that I don't really know. Yeah. Cause he showed up with not the right amount of skill set, you know? So that's, that's why I, I quite often very much only like to jump with people that I really know. Yeah. And that, and that I, I, I know I'm confident trust, but with, yeah. yeah, and confident with, and you know what? Sometimes on big groups that happens and it is what it is. And, and it's not my first time being in that area which yeah. is a really technical area and having someone break a leg and then having to a get everybody out without the police knowing and b making the rescue and getting a helicopter in and then palming it off 
not as a base jump also so all of those things happened in that day and you know it took eight hours of our time to do and you know they got him there and they didn't have to amputate his foot and it's all back it's all good right but it's like if you don't nobody's telling you like he was there with us and he said afterwards he said i knew i shouldn't have jumped and his his girlfriend said to us he was feeling really nervous the night before and you know but you know he's got all you guys there and you know yeah. a couple of, couple of big names are there and he you know he's excited at the same time he doesn't want to miss out but you're really like, well, gonna take your ego man out, yeah right? you have to literally take you know we what could have been uh awesome day of jumping was for him the next six to eight weeks probably was shit while yeah. he put his foot back on i, I remember <laughs> and then we had to deal with the, with the with the outcome and dealing with the police but you know how how hard is it to deal with the police trying to pretend that you weren't base jumping when we're known base jumpers like obviously like i've been I've been a part of a fatality here in Australia. So my name's on the list of known base jumpers. And then a few of the other guys that were there have been caught here and there known base jumpers. So it's like, you know, when we're all like hitting our rigs in the, in the, in the, in the mountains and, and we're saying, you know, no, no, we're just here going rock climbing. Did they ask you if you were base jumping? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it is what it is, right? Yeah. They probably knew it and just couldn't, you know, and they, can't ex- prove they it, absolutely so. knew it. Yeah, <laughs> they absolutely knew, it and they absolutely couldn't prove it. So, you know, they try to say, "Oh no, you know, like we don't, we do, we just want to make sure if someone gets injured, like we, you know." But it's like we don't trust the police as far as we can throw them. We're such a high risk sport, and we're taking having to take responsibility in your life. Like being, you know, you're a husband. Yeah. Like, like how? Well, have you accepted death? I, 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 I have really enjoyed my journey into base jumping because I find that a lot of people don't think about their own death. Lots of people go through life and they just kind of waffle along thinking they're going to be here forever. And then all of a sudden a family member or someone dies and it slaps them in the face so damn hard that they just, and then it's like they're never prepared for it. Right. Whereas when you decide that you're going to base jump you it makes you really kind of face your own mortality mm. to you question yourself question everything about your life question everything about your death because you have to you have to really think about it you know and i <clears throat> i've actually really enjoyed that you know i've i've had times where I remember being in uh, Northern California climbing a 2,000-foot antenna by myself at 3 o'clock in the morning. And, and you know, on one side, I've got, it almost feels like I've got that angel and devil on the shoulder where I've got the yeah. one side going, yeah, this is, this is awesome, this is what you want to do. And on the other side, I'm like, why the hell the hell did I get here? What the hell am I doing? Yeah. And, and, you know, like you get this, like these, these mental... Am I doing this for the right reasons? What reason am I yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Deep. That's right. And then and it really makes you kind of like internally think about things. And mm-hmm. then I remember specifically on that jump, I got to the top of that jump and the sun is rising over the California desert and I'm 2,000 feet high and it's like the most beautiful and I'm by myself. And it was like, when you go jump by yourself, it's like the ultimate, like you're only there for yourself. It's easy to get go with a group and get some kind of like false confidence because you're like, the boys are here, we're all doing it. So it's easy yeah. to get wrapped up in that. Whereas like when you go do something by yourself, it really, you really like internally yeah. think about a lot of that. And I enjoy it. I really enjoy it. You it, know, like I, of course I've thought about my, I'm not scared of my own death. I'm going to die someday. 
anyway, we don't get out of here alive and I refuse to live my life scared or wrapped in yeah. cotton wool and scared that like in the fear of it. Yeah. Here's the thing. When I was when I was younger and I was wakeboarding, I had two of my two of my best friends who were wakeboarders as well pass away. And that had a great like effect on my life. <clears throat> Mark and Richie and Mark passed away first and then Richie passed away afterwards. And they were both very like opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of personality in terms of personalities. Mark was like like me, like wide open, like left nothing on the table. When he passed away, you couldn't say that he didn't do everything he could with the time that he was given, right? Whereas for me, I found it really um, difficult with Richie was always like a, a saver, a planner, a future, yeah. a future, future, future that never came. So for me, that really hit me kind of really hard and the fact that those two have really shaped the way I the way I look at life and the way I try and always think about just just living every day like it's going to be like if I die tomorrow am I happy with where did I do all the things that I wanted to do today or would I be pissed off that I didn't do something or didn't say something or yeah. you know like it's, all of those things it's it's <clears throat> funny too because like that's everything that we hold ourselves back from doing we only hold ourselves back from fear yeah that's right with, with everything and I, I had this uh moment i was doing some trees for a neighbor he's a, a buddhist guy amazing re- really deep guy and i was doing these uh trees over his house and he's a family man he's a father you know a husband he's got beautiful beautiful children and he went to do something he was going to cut something or whatever and i said oh hey man like i'll do it because it's like pretty dangerous you know yeah and he said to me, he goes, no, 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 like I'm, I'm capable. And I, said, and I said to him like, yeah, well, I do it all the time. It's, it, you know, like just, just worried about him. Yeah. And he just kind of said to me, he just turned and said, hey, like I'm, he said, we, we just ended up in this deep conversation and he said this thing about accepting his own death, you know, like with the, you know, being a Buddhist and like what he's gone through in his own life by being able to accept his own death. Now he's, now he can just live free. Yes. And so he kind of got into it. He goes, look, what I'm going to do with my life, I'm going to like, you know, rationalize it. I'm going to make appropriate things. So I'm not going to go out and intentionally hurt myself. Hmm. But he's like, an ant could bite me and randomly kill me. You know what I mean? He he said something like that, like an ant or something could just randomly take him down. Absolutely. Like at, at any moment. So he said like for him, once he like really dove into the idea of death, now I don't know if I'm there. Like, like I've definitely, um, like I've faced death a couple of times, or like, and I even look back and I'm like, was I even really that close to death? Or like, you know, like have I really been there? I don't know. But it's like, it's he, since he said that to me, I've just been diving and thinking about it so much about the idea of death and and like the freedom once you accept it. Yeah. Because once you accept that you're gonna die, like, then what is there left? Yeah. Because you're not going to fear it. You're like, oh, okay, that happens, right? That's so then right. you don't fear it anymore. And like, so once that fear barrier breaks down, you can live. And I think lots of people get, lots of people are really hung up because of religion, because of like you, you know, if you've if you've been taught that there's heaven and hell and got like, of course you're going to fear your death. Like you yeah. think you're going to go this fiery eternity of hell, like. Holy crap! You'd be scared of everything, yeah, yeah, right? Die, like, man, die, yeah, that's right. But, <laughs> but that, but I honestly, I like one thing I I personally love about death is that 
it doesn't matter how much of a pussy you are, you have to face it. Like there's no escaping yeah. it. So it's like, I refuse to, I refuse to go out fearing it. I like, I've thought, you know, like, you know, when you're on a pl- commercial plane, I don't know if you've ever been on a commercial plane. It's been through like a yeah, big, and, like, think it's gone. and everything like drops out of the ceiling mm-hmm. and people start screaming and crying. And, and I'm like, I refuse to go out screaming like a, mm. like a little bitch about it. I'm like, I'm, I'm chilling. Everybody's like, why are you so calm? Yeah. Like, cause I'm, I'm not, if this is it and there's, it's out of my control and there's nothing I can do about it. Well then I'm not going to whinge about it. I'm yeah. not going to spend my last few seconds here having, well, you're not going to be able to react if you need to, you know, if I'm sitting on a commercial plane, there's nothing I yeah. can do anyways. I've had that, those moments on, on a plane where I've had to sit there and, and breathe and just, and just say to myself, well, whatever happens is happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I can't control it. Yeah, that's right. And that's the thing. Oh, it's so funny. I've been going to this, I've had a couple of sessions with this trauma lady, this trauma specialist, and it's so freaking interesting and just learning so much about myself, my irrational fear. Yeah. Because I'm so good with rational fear. Yeah. You know what I mean? If I'm jumping off something or climbing a tree or surfing or like, doing something in the mountain or whatever. It's like, I'm so capable within my own body to react and do what I need to do for my physical self to survive. Yeah. But the things that give me anxiety or, or my, is my irrational fear. You know what I mean? Which is like things that I don't even not conscious about in these like moments or like, let's say like, even like, um, when someone like confrontation, Yeah. you know what I mean? Like having to like speak your mind or have a verbal con- confrontation with say like your boss. Yep. right your body goes in this fight or flight mode mm. and this lady's like saying like you know she's like kind of making me see she's like with that stuff your body's like acting like it's about to die like you're going into survival <laughs> but she's like nothing can hurt you yeah yeah you know what i mean it's but like, she, you've got this story from when you're a kid you know i'm actually learning so much. <laughs> fucking brilliant you go to interesting. oh man she like does stuff like she'll stand in different parts of the room just monitors your breathing your heart rate or like how you where your body goes in a fight or flight just by like confrontation or just by, by emotional things. Yeah. It's just insane stuff you never knew about yourself. Yeah. I'm finding it really interesting for me, like just to grow within myself, you know, cause like I, I just want to be the best version of myself. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I, I had a couple of things come up where I just thought I was fine with, like I had a mate, I, like I had a few things come up that just, I had a few reactions within myself that I was like, I was like, why am I reacting like this? You know, like in my mind, it was what it was. My mind was fine with everything, but my body was reacting. I was like, like I was getting the shakes and stuff. And like, I, like I had trauma come up, yeah. but my mind was like, no, this is fine. My mate's like, go see this lady. And this lady's just like broke it all down. It was just so freaking brilliant yeah. to watch your mind. And I, now I've just been looking at myself like, just going like, fuck, I'm so good with rational fear because <laughs> I know how to react. I know what's going to kill me, what's not. And then situations like that, I'm like never in. I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I've been learning so much lately. Oh, it's been so interesting. You know what I mean? Because you have all these tools. Like, like how old are you now, Jeff? 40. Dude, you're, yeah, you're 40. Dude, I'm five years off 40. How intense is that? 15, you're 10 years off 50. Let's see, we've got heaps. Yeah. yeah. So I, when we talked about Jeff Wilson before, I look at him and I'm like, he's just sending it so hard. Yeah. And he's, you know... That's Honestly. awesome. I love to see that. I, and, and that's, I think about it too. I was like, man, the, these, these first 40 years have gone, pr-. like when I was younger, <clears throat> like through my teens, 
like I was saying earlier, I used to have like one big accident a year. I kind of thought I'd never make it to 20. I was like, I'm going to one day, I'm just going to overshoot. I'm just going to, because I'm always wide open. I'm just going to overshoot something. I'm going to cook it. So then I got to like 20 and I was like, well, probably won't make it to 30. (laughs) And then I made it to 30. And then I made it to 30. Cross fingers. And that's what's even funnier. Then I made it to 30 and I was like, should I get this? I guess I better start like maybe planning for the long term because like I'm I'm like if I've made it this far I'll be fine. And now yeah. I think it's funny because my mentor Dugs, when I very first started base jumping and I very first started talking with him and he said to me, "Oh, how old are you?" I said, oh, "I'm 32." He goes, oh, "You'll probably live." He goes, "You know, like you're past that point where your ego makes dumb choices for you. And I, and I can really look back now and probably yeah. safely say that had I started base jumping in my twenties that I would be dead for sure because I would have, I would have been trying to prove stuff to myself, to other people, to whatever, and maybe doing mm-hmm. things for the wrong reason, you know, trying to be the guy that could fly the wingsuit the closest to the ground for the longest period or fly the, through the smallest hole or, do, you know, do something like that. Where it's like one mistake and it's done, right? Where it's like for me, like, like dying in one single, like one single base jump is not worth dying for. Yeah. I can safely say that. But the collection of experiences that I've had over the last eight years, the places that even Kayla can tell you, the places that she said to me, like the places that base jumping has taken us. Yeah. Hiking, seeing beautiful places, having these like, having these amazing like experiences with people, all in this connection of people around the world that are, that are so free in a way that are, you know, they're not you know we deal with death we deal with these emotions and we so you 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 get the high and the low of course you never get one without the other so it's a bit of a balance but yeah you know like how many cool places has it taken us and how many experiences have we looked back on and been like you know like this little magic backpack that i have well you've lived 10 lives over absolutely I, i think about that with my own life like when you know with this thought of contemplating death i'm just like oh my like I've lived so much already. Yeah, I'm just me going too. for it. You me know? too. Well, and that, and that's why at this point, this point, I'm like, I've I've gotten to experience so much, and I and I look back at the way that I've tried to live hard and fast, and and experience everything, and never let a opportunity go by. And I love that that I can look mm. back, and you know, so many people are like, I don't know how you just are always going, just going, 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 and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to miss out on a second of this. I don't want to miss out on experiencing, you know, a walk on the beach with my wife or walking the dog every day or like even those little things. And it's funny that the the highs of the base jumping makes me really, really, and it's almost like the closer you get to death, the more you actually appreciate every single little bit of life that you get. Because I'm not complacent about the fact that I know, you know, that I might wake up in the morning and get a a message that you know a friend somewhere around the world has made a mistake and it's been and it's over for them and that that person will never get to see again so you know that's not lost on me that fact that um you know it it makes life actually a bit sweeter Mm. the colors are brighter the 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 smells smell greater off the flowers because you you know know, to that's right because like and i'm not saying that i like like I, I imagine, I imagine, like my, my number one goal with base jumping is always to be in, to not die base jumping. 
Yeah. That's been my number one goal. And I try and like really remember when I start like, you know, pushing hard or this or that. But, you know, I'm like, you know, nearly 600 base jumps deep. I've jumped all over the world and I've gotten to experience heaps of cool stuff. And now I'm at the point where I'm starting to teach lots of other new people. And so the the new responsibility of of teaching them of trying to make safe base jumpers trying to trying to trying, to trying to just be like look if you can live this for the long run you will get to experience so many amazing experiences along the way but also never sugarcoating it in the fact that like you will you're probably going to lose a couple of friends along the way because that's just yeah it's it's not like surfing or it's not even like wakeboarding or riding motocross where you blow a knee or you break a femur or something like that it's like you make a mistake you usually pay for it and that's it well you get you like, hit in the ground yeah that's right that's right. That God, right. man this is right. such an interesting conversation just so many layers uh, jeff wilson said to me um about a lot of world records get done by men in their 50s yeah, because exactly like what you're saying, he said like in his twenties and thirties, he just busted himself and just went hard. Mm. But he said then like you know his ego went out and his and he started like growing within himself to just know what he was, um, how to pace himself, you yeah. know when the right time was to act. Yeah, you know yeah, you make much smarter. Your your body might not be maybe as physically as capable, but your brain is in such a different mindset that you can probably make the choices that need to be made and probably give you more staying power anyways, rather than just pushing through with that ego male, ah, I can do anything kind of mentality. Yeah. yeah. I'm experiencing that just right now with my knee. Like just because I've just had this knee operation, my in a, in a way, like I'm trying to allow it to teach me patience hmm. because it's like, I still think I can just do anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I serviced my car two days ago. <laughs> you know what I mean and then it was like this day I was like oh I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do this and you know and I'll manage it but I'll just keep putting it up and it'll be fine yeah. and then at the end of the day my leg was just throbbing and hurting yeah. and I was like whoa I pushed it way too much and I was like okay I know and I was thinking about it today I was thinking about it I was like if I needed to you know if I needed to you know, let's say a survival situation and I had to freaking cross a mountain or cross freaking a hundred K or something walking. Yeah. I would figure out a way to do that right now, but I don't need to prove that I can do that. Like no, I just no, like, I just right. accept it. I was this weird thing. I was thinking about it today. I was like, I don't need to be doing everything. I can allow it to heal and manage it better. Like, cause I've still got this thing is like, and I can't let people do stuff for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even like saying to you when I pulled up, like, Oh, can you grab my bag? Like that was from this thought today. Yeah. Because people have been saying, oh, I'll grab that for you. And I'm like, no, I can do it, man. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's just a, it's just yeah. like a literally, um, it's only going to be for a couple of months. I've just got to lay yeah. low for a bit. Yeah. I but always like, to be per perfectly honest, I after my, my first um, knee surgery, I really liked, like injuries happen when you do things at the pointy end of you know of the of the technical end of things right like if you're yeah. pushing sometimes you're overshooting sometimes your body just gives way because for whatever reason but i always liked to when i am having an injury to really like take that downtime and like instead of and take that downtime and really like you know maybe sit down and read the books that you wanted to read or do yeah. do like take some time to just do like nothing and let your body kind of recoup from the years of going or like like i said 
don't drink any alcohol. Maybe go find a hyperbaric chamber when you when you get your time. Maybe you can get back on a slack line or get on a, a bicycle and yeah. do all the do all the the physical things that the physiotherapists and that want you to do. But then also take like a, a big mental break in terms of like mm-hmm. sometimes it's good to like take a step back and then like reshuffle. Okay, like what really are my goals here for? what do I want to do or how do I want to feel or yeah. like, like you said, like hanging, hanging with um, this therapist lady to dive deeper into your own brain on things, <laughs> you know? like what a, what a great time to do that. Yeah. Go, go freaking go for it. That's it. La- last night I was watching these, like these videos getting inspired to do this trip I've always wanted to do. And I was like, just thinking about this stuff in life. And it was, it was exactly like that. It's just like the last few days, it's like I've been able to take a step back and look at mm. myself and my life with a bit Instead wider eyes. Instead of just being, being on the go. Yeah, I've been quite narrow vision lately, just like I'm focused, like building my house, getting this done, getting that. And it's weird. And one thing I noticed, because people have just kept saying to me, like, um, keep asking me, like, oh, has COVID had an effect on me? And I'm like, no, because I've just kept traveling in Australia. Yeah, that's what we've done. Yeah. So we're like, we're here, we're stuck. Let's go explore Australia. Let's explore all the things that we want to do here. Um, instead of going to Tahiti or you know like these other places that we'd love to go see well, let's explore our backyard yeah like I've been doing that and then I just had this thing realization I think it was yesterday where you know all my big trips even trips in Australia I just completely let go yeah. I just completely let go to the expression of whatever's happening no control and I just realized that like me in those moments are the best version of myself and that's all that's always a place I love to be. And I was at that place six months ago. And now suddenly, you know, like life, you get caught up, you do these jobs, the mm. next thing, everything is rolling. The next thing you're at this point, you're like, whoa, what happened? How come I'm not there? Because <laughs> yeah, you've been so you know? busy. And then I was like, I was thinking about, I was like, like normally by now I'm doing an overseas trip and that's coming back and feeding that and keeping me in that let go and free state where it's just like, whatever's happening is just happening. Just experience it. Yep. Just, you know, be an observer to life and have fun with it. Yeah. And I just like, well, how am I not doing that? Like I, I am doing it, but not, I'm not that person right now. And I was like looking like, whoa, what happened? Six months ago, I was just like cruising. And so I was able to step back and look at myself. And then I was like, oh, well, what do I need to do to be that? And I was like looking, I was like, there's not much I actually need to do. You know what I mean? I can just be that. Just actually just think about it. Yeah. And so there's a couple of things I just need to change, you know, and one of those things is not being being a hero and trying to do everything, yeah. you know, not trying to just finish building my house, not trying to do this. And oh, right now I'm at this, there's this one construction job I go do every year. I've just made sure I've kept that in my back pocket. Yeah. It's up at Rockhampton. I love doing it. But at the same time, it's every year I've wanted to do this trip where I hitchhike up yachts up the islands because I've done it before, but I've never done this trip of where I go all the way up and out to these really remote islands. Like I want to follow the, the yachties going up north and just get dropped off an island and just camp on them. Yeah, hitchhike on yachts, right? And because, like, <laughs> you know, awesome. the, like the trades are going like north and then it like hit November, they turn around, all the northies come, you know? Yep. So it's like, there's this thing. And every year I'm like, oh, but I do this job and I finish at the wrong time to be able to do the trip. Yeah. So I do like a smaller trip. And like, I was like, well, maybe this is my moment. And then I started getting all this anxiety. And so I've written down a list right now. It's like pros and cons because that job, just doing this five weeks on this construction is like, it cashes me up so well. And so there's so much fear of the unknown because I'm like, I've 
gotten out of that work so much and done all this other stuff because and not by not doing construction the last couple of years the ball and everything just keeps open up for me you know like my, like everything's just been fine yeah and if not it's been way better yeah, you know what i mean awesome. and i'm like but i'm now i've just got this like one last thing i'm like can i let go it's like this security yeah because i know if i let go of it I might never be able to go back. And it's like this fear of the unknown. Like, and I'm sitting here right now going like, fuck, do I just go for it and have that trust in the universe? Or like, you know, cause there's so many pros Absolutely. and cons. We've done, well, I mean, we've, that's how we got here in Australia, really. Like we, we were living in California, we were living in Southern California. Then we moved to Northern California uh, for a bit. You know, we're like, uh, we had some, some situations come up that led us to, to live up there, which was kind of unexpected. And then it ended up bringing us down here. We were kind of like, well, let's go to Australia. And if we, if we love it, then, then sweet. And if we, if we like, ah, oh, this is not as good as we hope, then we can always go back or go to Hawaii or go to New Zealand. We've got, we've got plenty of options, you know, and we've been here, what, five or six years now? Six years. Six years, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like, but, but... Going into that fear. But always, we just like, we just, yeah, we like, let's move country. Like, and she's never, like, I moved to Orlando and then I moved from Orlando to California and then back, back and forth. So it was like, for me, it was easy to be a kind of, to move around, but to expect her to, to move from America to Australia and, you know, having never really like lived in another country is a big ask. So, but we were both like, let's go just see what happens we we got here and then you know the job that she's working in now we could have never expected beforehand but the way things twisted and turned and ended up has been really awesome yeah just putting that trust in the universe that's yeah and but lately i, I keep even though like, it's scary it's yeah. kind of fun and exciting mm. also my mum said last night she's like oh it's only like a six-week job just go do it and, I, and I, I get it too but then i'm like at the same time that's six weeks the opportunities and what it does to my mindset, but just the opportunities that even happen in that, like, because I haven't done construction in the last year, like being able to say, like the job, I just did the, I just did the biggest dream job of my life. I didn't even know that kind of job existed. And I got paid well and did this like wild job. And I was just like, wow, you know, but yeah. if I was like, if I decided to do a construction job, you know, I'd be like, Oh, I'll do this. You know, that I couldn't have done that. Yeah, that that's opportunity. right. Missed, would have missed out. Yeah. Could have missed out. And I say I'm learning. So I love doing this podcast. I'm so well, that's, inspired. I don't want to go. Well, do that's shit. probably <laughs> almost the same as going back to uh, what you were talking about. Oh yeah, the repeat one. If you like, keep going back. You yeah, might it's just be a fear. Li- but you might be missing out. You might because you're kind of just messing around here. You might miss out on the one that wanders by the dream job that wanders by. Yeah, that's because the you're thing. doing the construction. Yeah, it's like this. Um, Fuck, now we're getting into it. <laughs> no, no, it's like, it's like this. It's like, yeah, I'm like, do I have the confidence and power to just let it go and, and just not worry? Or do I, and then I'm looking like, or am I a coward? Because that, you know what I mean? There's like two sides of the coin. You're always like, oh, but this could, or it couldn't. And then I'm like, what happened to the me that is like, I don't care if it does or doesn't. Yeah. Whatever happens, life's just life. Yeah. And I just, that's the thing. I'm like, how do I end up in that cycle of my mind? Just like being so like anxious of like the fear of the unknown. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, I, so I keep going back because I'm so scared of the unknown or like letting it, letting it's it go. It's a natural human tendency. Though. I know. But like, you get so, it's like the, like, I always find like, like, 
I don't know if it's, it's a path to enlightenment. I don't know. Or just the, the self-growth. It's like two steps yeah. forward, one step back. Yeah. You know, you do, go two steps forward and you're killing it. And you do that for a bit. And the next thing, you suddenly fall and you're like, fuck, how did I get here? And one <laughs> step back, you're like, I had all these tools. And then, you know, something else gets thrown at you and you learn. And you yeah. learn so much about yourself. Yeah. I'm learning heaps, man. But that's what, that's like awesome. traveling, like you always just learn so, like. Oh, traveling's the best for it. Yeah. That's the best for it. Eh? That's why I, that's why I literally, like I said earlier, just like when I meet people and they don't know what to do, go travel, go find, pick somewhere on a map and go there, go experience a different culture and a, not, not the same, don't, don't go to the same Western country, go somewhere that's like way out of your comfort zone. You yeah. Know? Because, man, that's where you learn. Yeah. Do you find everything that you've done, do you just have confidence within yourself as a person? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you, you're constantly going into your fear. You're constantly like, man, you do heist. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's I, just like you've got to develop these skills, so you've got to go into it. Like, you don't I, just get born with them. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, it's a, you know, it's a, people, people say to me, oh, you're crazy. And I'm like, well, no, I don't think that I'm crazy. I just have like a wider comfort zone than you do. Yeah. Like, and that's only because I've been, you know, you don't get on, you don't learn to drive a car and then next minute you're driving Formula One in Monaco. Yeah. Like there's a big gap between those two. You don't just go from one to the other. It takes years of learning and expanding that comfort zone. It's the same with almost anything in life, right? Mm. It's like... You know, the only reason I carry so much confidence now is because I've probably put myself in those situations where you, you know, where you walk in somewhere and you're unconfident and you're like, oh, you know, you're doing the big, the big swallow. Like, how's this going to go today? Yeah. I'm nervous. I'm anxious. And then by the end of the day, you're like, oh, there was nothing. Why fine, was I yeah. worried? Like, was... Yeah. Because you're going into your fear all the time. You're learning. Mm. When, when you're saying this stuff before, like about, like when you're talking about death or like jumping and like, you know, understanding that, you know, you're trying to live, I pictured like an overweight kind of guy, you know, just the, 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 the cliche stereotype, like just sitting in front of the telly with the cheesels and that going, the cheesels and the Coke and maybe cigarettes or something going, oh, fuck doing that. That comes, you know, that guy's crazy. He's going to kill himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, people, like People say that all, I, I love like you see on Facebook and stuff like that. And just like Joe Blow people are just like, or Karen's. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> okay. Those, those people are idiots. They're going to kill themselves. And it's like, well, what are you even doing with your life? Yeah. Like, have you done, have you done anything cool? Have you done anything that's like yeah. what that, that made you feel so alive that you just yeah. like, you know, well, that yeah, you beam yeah. happiness to the people around you because you're doing that. Yeah. Or are you just like a sourpuss that's talking shit on Facebook because you've got nothing better to do? Do you, have you experienced a sublime? What do you mean by that? Like, I, I kind of would think you, it, the, the sublime is like, a moment of bliss where you feel so alive that you can't explain it. Oh, probably like, like so many, you know, I, I feel like you <laughs> like, like live in it. Like I've yeah. had a couple of moments in my life yeah. where the sublime has just taken over. Like, you know, where things are that beautiful. Everything is so in alignment that it's, I've been brought to tears because yeah. I'm so happy with like, absolutely. I actually told, I actually told Kayla, I had a, had a dream the other night about one of my favorite places in America. And I uh, like, which is Lake Tahoe. Oh, it's I, so and beautiful. I, and there, I, said, eh? I said, I can't, I said, I had a dream the other night that I walked down onto this park and it was just like, you know, like 11 o'clock. It was like beautiful sunny day in the summertime through the pines. And I just like walked down into this park and just like, it was just so beautiful that I kind of just like, 
kind of just like fell onto my knees in the park and just like cried happy tears because I was so happy to just be back there because it's just like a place that yeah. like fills my soul with yeah. like just like such a cool place. Like, West Zimbabwe <laughs> does that for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like the play, like it just just does it, just feeds me. Mm. Same with Crescent, where I live. All right, dude, dude, we've been t- <laughs> we've been talking. For, this is a perfect amount of time. Yeah, this has been such cool. an amazing podcast. Exactly, yeah, I love it because I'm so inspired just to be able to sit down and just hear those stories. Man, I've been on the edge of my seat hearing base <laughs> base jump and stuff. Like like you are in that world. Yeah, and I know a few base jumpers, but like to sit down and hear the stories, and I just can't wait to share this with people at home to be sitting because base jumping is such a a rarity to actually get those deep stories or just get the insights. Like I know you can't really say mm. too much, but what you've just said has just been. It will be interesting to see people's reactions. Like people that, you know, because obviously, like I said earlier, I'm insular to it. I'm always surrounded by, I'm surrounded by people that are doing it or wanting to do it or in, in some way, because that's my part, big part of my world these days. But it's, I do find so many people that I come across are just like, like yourself, they have like a million questions, which is cool because then I get to, I'm passionate about it. Right. So it's very easy to talk about. Um, so the questions never really get, the questions don't get old, you know, the questions are like people just like this fascination with like, how does it work? And it's like trying to put the pieces yeah. of the puzzle. How together. do you not die? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because lots, like, lots of people back in the day kind of thought that just like, oh yeah, well you just, you just get a parachute and you just go jump off something. It's like when you see the, the amount of like time that it takes to maybe learn to pack a rig and the top to the equipment that it takes, you meet heaps of base jumpers and we've got like lasers that we can measure stuff with and we've got like GPS data like equipment that we can like measure flight patterns and, and winds and what like it's like <laughs> turn into like computer nerds. Yeah. Like you'd be like but you would never you would never realise that if you've seen me on the street. Oh man. Dude, <laughs> dude if you ever need like a like a puppet for one of the heists yeah. to get his up there, man, I'll I'll put a moustache on. I'll dress up. I'll, well, I'll, I can do you, accents. As soon as you can walk a few stairs, we'll <laughs> take you for an adventure. Oh, mate. I'd right. frost so much. Yeah. I love... Man, I had a ticket to Falls Festival years ago. And I, yeah. me and my mates, it was New Year's Day. And we're like, we hadn't slept <laughs> the night before. And we're like, fuck it. Let's just sneak in. Just we had New tickets and we just wanted to sneak in. <laughs> it was so good. Sneak in and then you're like, no, we've got tickets. Yeah, we stuck in. It was so good. It was so fun. That's hilarious. We just wanted to do it, you know. We pulled it off. Pulled off the heist. <laughs> All right, That's man. great. All right, dude. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, that was awesome. You guys wonderful. I hope you guys like this episode. Now, remember, I've got prizes to give away for whoever shares it for me. Go on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, put it on your social media story, tell your mum. Send me a message, send me a screenshot, or I'm just going to see it on Apple Podcasts anyway, or I'm going to see it on social media, and every week I'm going to pick someone and I'm going to send them an Opino Knife or a Diaries of the Wild Ones t-shirt. Enjoy, guys, and thanks for listening.
they're doing like a double. <laughs>